When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, today we're debating whether or not veiling for Muslim women, women in Muslim countries is good and we are starting right now with Daniel's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Daniel. The floor is all yours. Let me just set it up. Sorry to everyone for the delay. Okay. So I have some slides that I need to show you. Is veiling good or evil? Let me first define veiling or hijab. Veiling is not just a piece of cloth covering a woman's head. Veiling is an entire system of gender separation that keeps non-familial men and women separate from each other and out of view. When we ask whether or not veiling is good, we first must recognize that veiling is not exclusively Islamic. Nowadays, Muslim women are primarily known for veiling but of course, other religions have a history of veiling. Christian nuns are well-known and numerous verses of the Bible reference and even prescribe veiling. Typically, the Virgin Mary is depicted with a full veil. Orthodox Jewish women are also required by Jewish law to veil after marriage. Uh, but veiling extends beyond just these three religions. The first historical documentation of veiling comes from Middle Assyrian Law Code of 1400 BC. Ancient Greek history also has many references to veiling. The earliest recorded reference is from 1300 BC. On the basis of statues like this one and literary references, historians have concluded that it was customary for women in Greece to dress conservatively and to veil. The practice of veiling continued in ancient Rome, where the veil was a symbol of the authority of a husband over his wife. Wives who refused to veil were seen as not fully committed to their marriages. One historical example from 166 BC involves a magistrate named Sopolkius Gallus who divorced his wife because she had gone out in public without the veil. He justified the divorce by saying, quote, the law prescribes for you my eyes alone to which you may prove your beauty. If you with needless provocation invite the look of anyone else, you must be suspected of wrongdoing. European women continued to don the veil throughout the Middle Ages. In Asia, too, we see numerous cultures historically practiced veiling. Contrary to popular belief, 
Veiling didn't enter Persia via Islamic conquest. Centuries prior to Islam, the ancient women of the Persian dynasties would veil. In the Indian subcontinent, early Sanskrit sources refer to the avaguntana, which means veil or cloak. The 5th century playwright Sudraka mentions how married women were expected to wear the veil in public. Pre-Islamic Indian art and statues also depict women in veils. Some form of veiling is found in all the Indic religions, including Jainism and Buddhism. Moving eastward, the Sui and Tang dynasties in China had their women wear the mili. This Chinese garment has been described by historians as, quote, burqa-like, because it draped over a woman's head and extended to her feet, covering the entire head, face, and body, except for small breaks in the fabric to allow the woman to see. So let me just switch out, out of the presentation. Veiling is found in countless cultures and geographic regions, but, but why is this? Why did so many disparate religions and cultures independently practice veiling? If veiling is just a patriarchal social practice invented by evil men to subjugate women, why did so many cultures independently invent the same evil practice? The answer is that veiling, this system of separating men from women, is biologically rooted. Human nature itself calls for veiling. That's why we see it practiced with the same basic form and purpose all over human history. Veiling arises from a biologically rooted instinct called mate guarding. Mate guarding refers to any kind of behavior which prevents a male from reproducing with others. As world-renowned biologist David Buss puts it, desirable mates are always in short supply compared to the many who seek them, end quote. For this reason, animals use strategies to keep their mates and prevent others from accessing them or poaching them. For example, certain male insects like grasshoppers will grab onto a female after mating with her and refuse to let go. By doing this, the male prevents other male competitors from accessing the female. Japanese beetles take a similar strategy by moving in tandem with their females in order to cover them. In this way, the male beetle uses his own body to veil the female from being seen by other males. Male gorillas will mate guard by stalking their female mates and making noises to ward off other males. They will also build their nests directly under the female gorilla nests in order to physically block access to his mate. Male dolphins are really interesting. A male will guard his mate by allying with several other males. The group of males then use aggressive clicking noises to ward off other males while also physically blocking the female from going near them. Basically, these male allies serve as a kind of morality police, making sure the female doesn't stray. These are, there are countless mate guarding strategies used throughout the animal kingdom, some more aggressive than others, but the objective is always the same, to prevent competing males from sexually accessing one's mate. In humans, men's, men mate guard primarily by preventing women from mixing with other men and also by veiling them. Now, before you wag your finger at men for being controlling and insecure, realize that females also engage in mate guarding to limit their partner's access to other mates. In human women, uh, they do this with strategies like limiting polygyny, requiring monogamy, making men wear rings or other indicators that her man is already taken, or she'll hang off of her man's arm when they're in public. 
Women also engage in what can be only described as slut shaming. Women will shame other women who engage in promiscuous behavior, especially if a woman steals another woman's man. Such women are labeled as homewreckers. Extreme social shaming is used by women to prevent this type of poaching behavior. Another major part of female mate guarding is to limit a male's ability to spend resources on other females and other offspring. Women do this by requiring men to commit a great deal of time and resources to them and their children, more time and resources than is strictly needed for survival. By forcing men to sink resources in things like mandatory dowry, maintenance, child support, etc., women hinder a man's ability to offer those resources to other women. This is how women are able to control and ultimately limit the sexual freedom of men, because men attract women with their resources. By laying heavy claim to those resources, a woman essentially makes a man less attractive and less accessible to other women in the same exact way that the veil makes a woman less attractive and less accessible to other men. And if you think the veil is more of a burden for women, you should realize that American law, for example, forces men to pay child support. That's up to 18 years of forced payment, even if he never wanted a child. And if the man misses a payment, he can be thrown in jail. Laws like this, which forcefully extract resources from men, severely limit men's ability to attract partners. Another way that we can understand mate guarding is that when men and women enter into a relationship, they've engaged in a reciprocal exchange. Both sides give and receive. But like any investment, both sides want to protect their investment. The main thing, but not the only thing that biologically drives men to get with women is sexual access to their bodies. And the main thing, but not the only thing that biologically drives women to get with men is access to his resources and his protection. Both of these investments are secured through mate guarding. Mate guarding is necessary because the investment of both sides can be compromised by the actions of the other side. If a woman gets impregnated by another man, that's a major loss for him. If a man deprives a woman of resources and spends it on other women, that's a major loss for her. So mate guarding is necessary in order to maintain the viability of these committed pair bonds. Islamic law institutes mate guarding in numerous ways. Islam criminalizes sex outside of marriage and implements harsh punishments to deter violations. Islam also requires husbands to provide and protect their wives and to financially support their children even after divorce. Islam also institutes gender separation. Women are required to veil, and by the same token, both men and women are required to lower their gaze. All this reduces the chances of infidelity and poaching. All this protects the interests of both men and women. Mate guarding and veiling have numerous benefits. I'll just mention two. First, women who practice veiling are statistically less promiscuous. In Muslim societies where veiling and modesty are still enforced, women have far fewer sexual partners pre-marriage than in modern liberal societies. This directly impacts the happiness of women. One study by Andrew Galperin showed that women more than men are hardwired to experience casual, uncommitted sex as deeply traumatic. Other studies show that women who have more sexual partners before marriage psychologically experience reduced marriage quality. Basically, women are less satisfied with their husbands if they've had a lot of prior experience with other men. They're also more likely to get divorced. So contrary to sex-positive feminism, more sexual experience does not lead to more long-term happiness. In fact, quite the opposite. 
Veiling blocks precisely this behavior. In this way, veiling is in the interest of both men and women by giving them what they want and what they need, committed partners and committed long-lasting relationships. The fact of the matter is, due to biological instincts, men are less likely to commit to women they view as promiscuous. So when women can't secure that commitment from men because of their promiscuous behavior, they'll naturally be depressed. This is why we're at all-time highs of female depression in our current day. The second benefit of veiling is that it increases paternal investment. Studies show that when a man is more confident that his partner is being faithful to him, he will spend more time and resources on the children he has had with that woman. This is due to the man being more confident that those children are actually his and not the children of some other man who has impregnated his partner behind his back. A woman who dresses modestly or veils signals to her man, consciously or subconsciously, that she is not sleeping around and getting impregnated by other men. This makes the man, consciously or subconsciously, more confident that he's the father of the children she gives birth to, and that makes him more likely to invest time and resources into those children. This is a huge benefit of veiling to society because paternal investment is one of the biggest indicators of a child's future well-being. Children who grow up without fatherly investment are more likely to fall into crime, to drop out of school, to end up unemployed, to have psychological problems, to be depressed, suicidal, addicted to drugs, and on and on. The reason all of these negative factors are on the rise in Western societies is tied to increased promiscuity, which creates less paternal investment. These social problems do not exist to the same extent in societies with stable families that have strong paternal investment due to far less sexual promiscuity due to veiling. To summarize, the practice of veiling is part of a much broader human practice known as mate guarding. Without mate guarding, you can't have the institution of marriage. You can't even have committed relationships in general. So veiling is not only a major force of good in society, it's also necessary for the future of humanity. It's driven by universal human instincts, and that's why it's been practiced by countless societies throughout history. Ultimately, many of the social and psychological problems that people in the modern West are suffering from could be solved or mitigated with the practice of veiling and sexual modesty that Islam teaches. Thank you very much for that opening, Daniel. And want to say, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, I'm your host, James Coons. Our vision is to provide a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field. We hope you feel welcome, whether you be Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it. We're glad you're here. And big announcement, DebateCon, our conference, is going to be on Saturday, April 22nd. This is DebateCon 3.1, as this first one is going to have just political debates all on one day and then we'll do our or i should say religion debates all on one day and then our political debates will be on a separate day a couple months later we're testing different things out you don't want to miss this conference for example as you can see at the bottom right of your screen daniel and inspiring philosophy will be debating you don't want to miss it hit that subscribe button right now as we've got a lot of debates coming up in the future with that thank you very much naria thrilled to have you the floor is all yours for your opening Thank you. Hi, it's great to be here again. Thank you, Modern Day Debates, for setting this up. Daniel, it's good to officially meet you after our little Twitter spat where you did me dirty and blurred my face. 
Um, you can't say that I didn't extend the hand of friendship when I graciously returned the favor. I was nice enough to conform to your worldview in order to protect your modesty and respect you. I had no choice but to scribble over your face. I'm sorry. Um, but I wouldn't want you to be an uncovered lollipop, right? So I hope I succeeded in protecting you from those nasty flies. And if you still attracted flies, then I guess veiling isn't the answer. And maybe there's a problem with those flies. Anyway, until we find out, I think it's best you follow Allah's command from Surah An-Nur. Tell the believing men to lower their gaze from looking at forbidden things and protect their private parts. So, Daniel, I'd expect you to be a good Muslim and lower your gaze for the duration of this debate. Unless you think the screen between us is enough to of a veil to stop fitna. Anyhow, I hope by the end of today's debate, you will at least understand that women are equal to men, whether or not you like it. Your opinion won't and can't change that. The answer is not to erase women from the public sphere, Daniel. The solution lies in fixing the mentality of men like yourself and to root out the source problem, Islam. The fact that you blurred my features leads me to think that not only do you fear hair, but you'd like to erase women entirely. I'd like to know if beyond veiling, you're a proponent of the niqab, where women aren't even given the decency to see the world through their own eyes. Who do you think you are to take away a woman's personal experience of reality and force her to see the world from behind a veil? Allah's so incompetent that first he created such easily tempted weak men who can't control their sexual urges and impulses, then created beautiful women and gave them an allegedly powerful force that causes men to go astray. He then orders women to cover up that very thing because of the men he created weak to begin with. The next name I mentioned should send shivers down all of your spines. Mahsa Gina Amini. Remember her? Beaten to death for showing two strands of hair. Two strands of hair, Daniel. If they can beat a young woman, black and blue, concuss and kill her for something as trivial as hair, what would they have done to me just for existing right now? Tell me, Daniel, what is it about hair that threatens Islamists like yourself so much? What does it do to you men? It seems to me almost as awe-inspiring as getting to see Allah shin on the Day of Judgment. What about 17-year-old Nika Shakarami? Her nose was smashed and skull was broken in Iran. And Sara Shirazi? And the 14-year-old who was repeatedly raped and then killed for removing her hijab at school? Islam is responsible for their blood. If you think these barbaric excuses for men have already convinced us that they're scum, in 2000, Hussein al-Muntazari, a cleric and designator successor of Supreme Leader Khomeini, published his memoirs. It revealed texts from Khomeini's fatwa which stated that female prisoners who are virgins must be raped before execution to prevent them from entering heaven. Where was their hijab to protect them then? The sexual assault was not confined to girls, but also aging women. Many were declared clinically insane as a result of the constant rape they endured. Allah, Muhammad, and Umar ibn Khattab are responsible for the body count of every single woman ever beaten, tortured, or killed in the name of hijab. We see similar crimes against humanity where the Pakistani army systematically undertook a campaign of genocidal rape against hundreds of thousands of Bengali Hindu women. It seems that regardless of being Muslim or non-Muslim, the common denominator with Islam is sexual violence and rape perpetuated against women and girls, hijab or no hijab. Let me tell you a tragic story to bring this madness to life. On March 11, 2002, a fire broke out at a girls' school in Mecca. Fifteen girls were left to die. They could have easily escaped, but weren't allowed to leave the burning building. Why not, you might ask? 
because they weren't wearing proper Islamic clothes, the veil and abaya. Civil defense officers reported that religious police, or the mutawa, interfered with rescue efforts. They were there to ensure the strict gender segregation and dress code. Their powers included powers to arrest and to refer individuals suspected of violating religious and moral codes to the courts. Women who failed to cover up suffered on-the-spot beatings. Arab News quoted defense officers as saying, we told them the situation was dangerous and it wasn't the time to discuss religious issues, but they refused and started shouting at us. Whenever the girls got out through the main gate, the Mutawa forced them to return via another. Instead of extending a helping hand for the rescue, they were using their hands to beat them. Human Rights Watch said women and girls may have died unnecessarily because of extreme interpretations of the Islamic dress code. Imagine putting a veil above human life. Imagine the kind of people who would beat and force little girls to their death because they can't bear to see the fitna of hair, even as they flee for their lives. This incident alone should prove to you how dangerous hijab can be. Even more disturbing is that Saudi is a state party to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and the UN Convention of the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Now, the four major Sunni schools all agree it's obligatory for women to cover their hair and entire body except the hands and face in the presence of other men, in the presence of men, sorry, other than mehrams. Many secular moderate Muslims insist there's no prescription for the veil in the Quran. At the very least, it's recommended or encouraged practice, if not mandatory. Now, let's travel back in time to 1400 years ago. Having already proclaimed prophecy, Muhammad didn't give a flying barat about veiling. There are plenty of scenarios in Bukhari where he was in the presence of Qureshi women who weren't veiled and he wasn't fussed. Now, without trying to dismantle Islam in one go, given the Quran is the direct word of infallible Allah spoken through Gabriel to Muhammad, how on earth did a wish of Umar ibn Khattab make its way in there? Either Umar is just as much of a prophet as Muhammad who's capable of receiving revelation, or the Quran is not the word of God, just as the scribe of Muhammad, Abdullah Abisar, realized before he was killed on Muhammad's orders when escaping from Medina to Mecca. Bukhari 146 tells the story. One night, Sauda, the wife of the prophet, went out at Isha and she was a tall lady. Umar addressed her and said, I have recognized you, O Sauda. He said so as he desired eagerly the verses of Al-Hijab, so Allah revealed the verses of Al-Hijab. This led to the revelation of Quran 3359. O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers to bring down over themselves part of their outer garments. That is more suitable that they will be known and not be abused. Notice how it says they will be known and not be abused. Some translations say harassed, molested, even troubled. Let me tell you why it specifically says that. In Medina, Umar and his companions were frequent places where women were exposed and vulnerable to sexual harassment, particularly at night. Among those were the fields of Manasi, where women would go to relieve themselves. Remember, sex slavery was also rampant at this time, and slave women were forced to walk around topless, whereby even their most intimate body parts could be inspected by potential buyers. Umar realized the presence of Muslim women could be an issue, as they could become a victim of his sexual violent activities. When Umar approached Muhammad demanding they cover in order to be noticed and not raped, Muhammad was initially reluctant. One night, Umar saw Soda at the very spot where they'd carry out these sexual raids. Soda then told Muhammad and he agreed to receive a revelation. Umar got what he finally wanted, the implementation of the veil to tell a Muslim woman apart from a non-Muslim one. Bukhari 402 also implies Muslim men were okay with mistreating any unveiled women. Sound familiar? 
How many times have we heard Muslim leaders claim that non-believing women are whores? What about the wave of sex attacks in Germany in 2016, where 1,200 women were sexually assaulted? An Algerian man was found guilty of sexual assault carried out by a group of 20 men. A 21-year-old Iraqi kissed a young woman against her will, then licked her face. Police said the attacks were perpetrated by a group of Arab or North African men in what they described as a new dimension in crime. One victim told Euronews she was groped and fondled between her legs. Her boyfriend tried to pull her away, but there was a big, big group of people, maybe 30 or 40 men. Police described men working in coordinated groups to grope women. Doesn't this sound awfully similar to the antics of Omar and his men with their sexual raids? There's no, there's no evidence to suggest that covering women up leads them to being harassed less. Moreover, the solution to, to harassment, Daniel, is not to place the burden on women to cover up or change their behavior, but to address the root causes of gender inequality and work to create a culture where harassment isn't tolerated. This includes educating individuals about consent and respect, two things Islam and Allah don't understand. There's no consent in Islam. You know that from Quran 2, 2, 2, 3. Your women are your fields. You may enter them whichever way you like. That, Daniel, is literal sexual objectification. You can't get more degrading than that. Where in the West does any aspect of society encourage this madness? This is sanctioning marital rape. 150 countries have criminalized it, yet in Daniel's perfect Islamic world, rape behind closed doors would go unchecked. For consent to be legally valid, it must be given explicitly and voluntarily, and both, both parties must have capacity to understand what they're consenting to. Tell me, Daniel, do six-year-old girls in Afghanistan have the capacity to understand what they're consenting to when they're being purchased by old, frail, despicable 50-year-old grandpas? Despite graduating from Harvard, I still worry you may not understand that, so let me tell you, the answer is a resounding no. Additionally, whenever and wherever women are given a choice, most women do not choose to cover up. In countries like Saudi, Iran, Somalia, where they must cover from head to toe, usually in black, not getting enough sunlight can have ne negative effects on their health, lead to vitamin D deficiency, and especially in peak summer, it can lead to heat exhaustion and dehydration because wearing black ref doesn't reflect the sunlight, it absorbs it. Also, research shows that people experience positive emotions from autonomous motives behind their actions, rather than controlled or coerced motives as a response to internal or internally imposed pressures. How Daniel intends to prove forceful veiling will lead to a better society is beyond me. According to a Reuters survey of countries with the worst gender parities, Afghanistan and Syria ranked in second and third place with Somalia and Saudi next. Eight out of 10 were Islamic countries. Women face sexual violence, domestic abuse, harmful practices, Daniel, like FGM, so-called honor killings, and more often than not, have zero to limited access to healthcare and economic resources. Wearing a veil doesn't seem to change anything for a woman's safety or status. In Pakistan, more than 70% of rapes are perpetuated by immediate family members. What's the point of instructing women to veil if they aren't even safe in their own homes? They're not safe from their supposed mehrams, and you believe the solution lies with women veiling. The hijab is a stain on women. It represents a man's refusal to control their urges. It's a burden Muslim women accept, along with a passive choice to become a breathing, walking, ideological tool for Islam. It's not just a physical cloth of opp oppression, but a psychological one. Thank you.
Thank you very much for that opening as well, Naria. And want to say just a couple of other quick housekeeping things before we jump into the open conversation, folks. In particular, first, I put a poll here in the Modern Day Debate live chat of today's debate question, is veiling for women in Muslim countries good? So do come on over and click on that poll. Put your vote in if you're watching anywhere else, as well as... Want to remind you folks, Modern Day Debate is on podcast. If you haven't already, find us on your favorite podcast app. And with that, we're going to kick it into open dialogue. Thank you very much, Daniel and Naria. The floor is all yours. Or what about uh, rebuttals? Yes, that's right. We're doing <laughs> rebuttals today. Sorry about that. It is a seven-minute rebuttal. So, seven minutes. The floor is all yours, Daniel. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, that was a load of nonsense, just complete gish galloping about every feminist stereotype. Uh, so this was a debate about veiling, not every feminist grievance against Islam. Uh, but let me address some of your points. You're mentioning Masa Amina, Amini. Uh, so this is a complete hoax. Uh, she was not beaten to death. Uh, she was arrested and then collapsed from a medical condition in a police station. This is recorded on CCTV. Uh, the South uh, China Post, South Sea China Post also had that video published. So she was not beaten to death. Uh, and this is a complete hoax. Uh, that, that actually didn't happen. She just collapsed in the police station. And her family said she had a pre-existing condition. So I'm not a fan of the Iranian regime. And they commit all kinds of egregious crimes. But this claim that they beat a woman to death because she had two strands of hair showing is a complete hoax. Um, when you talk about hair, like, oh, you know, you blurred out my face or whatever, that's, this is also ridiculous. The, a man's hair and a man's looks are not the same as a woman's looks. This is like saying that, oh, a random villager, a random male villager who has like luscious locks uh, in Africa or in Afghanistan or wherever is going to be a temptation to women and women in the West are going to be drooling over that villager. Oh, look at his hair. There's a fundamental difference between uh, what's attractive in a man and what's attractive in a woman. This is something that's biological and none of your feminist uh, cliches address that fundamental difference. Um, you claim that there was a fatwa for raping prisoners. <laughs> Uh, for I didn't even understand that. I don't know where that comes from. So please give me a source, you know, an academic source for that. Um, that sounds completely ridiculous. Women burned in a madrasa in Saudi in 2002. So yes, there was a fire in a woman's school, but the way that you characterized it is completely false. The religious police didn't say that, oh, we have to burn these children to death because they're not wearing the hijab. That wasn't the situation. Go actually read the official reports. The religious police just made a mistake because they didn't realize the extent of the fire. So they delayed the evacuation. So that was a mistake about fire safety. It was. It's not the same thing as saying, oh, we're going to burn children because they're not wearing the veil. That's absolutely absolutely ridiculous. And it's quite, uh, I don't want to say Islamophobic, maybe racist to think that people are so barbaric that they allow their own children to burn alive because they have hair showing like this is, you're just repeating the most ridiculous, hateful, far right tropes about Muslims. It's quite appalling. With your uh, claim about Omar, uh, and the prophet, peace be upon him, regarding veiling and, oh, they, Omar is the one who invented the veil. This is also historically false. My opening statement 
explain how veiling existed in pre-Islamic Arabia. It's factually incorrect to say that Omar invented it or that this was something that originated with Islam. As I explained, there are many cultures that were around a millennia before Islam that practiced veiling, including in the Arabian Peninsula. Islam just emphasized and formalized it. What pre-Islamic women wore is that they covered their heads with what's called a khimar, uh, but the Quran just simply commanded them to bring the khimar over the chest, um, to cover the chest. So that's, you know, again, complete mischaracterizations from your part. Um, you're talking about like Arab and black African re uh, refugees in Europe raping women, like as if, you know, what is that supposed to prove? Like, how is that relevant to hijab other than spreading more right wing stereotypes? Um, Afghanistani girls being purchased, like six-year-olds, like where, what are the sources from this? Like give me academic sources to back up these kinds of points, not just these what seems to be far right-wing uh, racist sources that you seem to be quoting for the purposes of this debate. So, I mean, you're, how much time do I have, James? You have two minutes and 40 seconds. So your entire argument was predicated on two massive lies. First, that you're saying that veiling is something specific to Muslims or Islam. It's something that Islam promoted. This is false. As we saw, there are countless historical examples. You also want to portray veiling as a form of misogyny and hatred of women. But as, as I discussed in the opening, veiling is just another form of a universal human practice known as mate guarding. Mate guarding has nothing to do with misogyny or subjugation. It has to do with securing the interests of both men and women so that they can have stable long-term committed relationships that become the building blocks of a healthy society. The modern liberal alternative that Nuria is proposing is an absolute dystopia. We are at a point in history where due to porn culture, women are more exposed and more uncovered than at any other time period. Yet we're also seeing unprecedented levels of depression and mental illness from women. These things are deeply connected, no matter how much atheists like Nuria will deny it. Now, Nuria might say that contemporary porn culture is bad, but that doesn't mean we have to start veiling. Actually, that's not true. It's a binary between between veiling and porn culture. Those are the only two options. Why? Because as soon as you open the door to women showing their beauty in public, it creates a race to the bottom. This is because women compete with each other to attract men. Just look at Western history. European women initially were, we were wearing burqas in public in the Middle Ages, but then one woman decides to show her face. Then another woman decides, well, I'm going to show a little bit of hair. Then another woman says, okay, I'll show some hair and my neck too. Another says, okay, well, to stay competitive in the sexual marketplace, let me show some leg. Let me wear a miniskirt. Let me show some cleavage and on and on. Standards of covering completely devolve until you arrive at our current situation with OnlyFans and sexting and women posting their genitals for millions to see online. Once you open Pandora's box, that's what happens. And history has proven this over and over again. Veiling is necessary to keep that box closed. Um, so, and there's empirical studies that show this as well. I mentioned Andrew Galperin. Um, you can also look at Gregory Webster's life history theory, basically women who grow up in households where the mother is more promiscuous and there's no father influence, those women end up regretting uncommitted sex, but they just regret it a little bit less than women who grow up with a father figure. So this becomes a perpetual cycle. This becomes a vicious cycle and it brings the entirety of society down with it. And we are seeing that dystopia all around us. Um, so I can't understand how someone like Nuria, you don't have to be a Muslim to recognize that this is a problem. Depression of women, suicidal thoughts of women that, you know, one out of three young girls is suffering from suicidal thoughts. That is connected to the kind of 
uh, social media that pushes pornographic images, pushes and women in a state of undress. Time. Thank you very much for that rebuttal as well. We'll kick it over to Naria, but I've got to say, Daniel and Naria, I am blown away. The amount of likes on this video right now, people are absolutely pumped about this debate. So I want to say thanks so much for your support out there, folks. Our guests are linked in the description. We're going to kick it over to Naria for her opening, or I should say rebuttal as well. Seven minutes, the floor is yours. Thank you. I'm just going to quickly run through some of your points in the opening, Daniel, and then I'll come back to what you just said now. But yeah, the fact that you, again, are promoting gender segregation like it's some kind of virtue, the, the terms you use, like women out of view, it, it just lends itself to the fact that you want to erase women from the public sphere. And think the fact that you think that feminism is, is the threat to that is crazy. I'm going to teach you about feminism, but hold on. You the entire thing that you did in your opening when you talked about me waffling and you know making up stuff you talk about refer to nuns nuns who don't get beaten to death like you want to actually contest Marcia Amini's video that was known to be tampered with her father tried to contest that the fact that you're buying that narrative of course you have to it's embarrassing I know that but nuns don't get beaten to death. You can't compare. It's a choice. That's the operative word here, choice. None of the empires or uh, regions that you talked about having veiling claim to be the timeless eternal religion that Islam is. Society has moved past that. Nobody is being beaten black and blue for not covering their heads. Only under Islamic society is that happening. What you did in your entire opening was an appeal to history and tradition fallacy. Because it happened in the past so much, therefore, oh, look, it's correct. That That's not how it works. And everything that you tried to promote as virtue, whether it's in the animal kingdom or males guarding their, their females or their partners, it just boils down to sexual survival. It is found everywhere. It's not, again, it's not a virtue. It's an evolutionary survival mechanism. Um, it does not mean you trap women, you confine them, you veil them, you lock them in their houses. And also, did you compare some of these animals lashing out to the morality police? <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, you also mentioned uh, that having to pay childcare is an issue, blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's the case, why does Islam insist on custody of the child going to the, the man? Why why not keep the child with the, the female? Even in matters like that, you discriminate because you want to keep that child in the fold. Even there, you don't give the woman the courtesy of contesting to keep her child because it's only one way in Sharia. Um, again, you talk about women being less promiscuous if they are veiled. Do you know the amount of Arab girls that get on planes from the Middle East and take their abaya off as soon as the plane takes off from that Middle Eastern country? Of course, you're going to have these skewed studies because it's underreported. If you get caught in one of those countries, you'll go to jail, get lashed. Why would why would anybody report this? Who, where are you getting this data from saying that this is happening? Because if I was one of those women out there, I definitely would not be reporting it. Um, you also talk about marriage quality, but I wanted to ask you, what kind of marriage are you trying to preserve? Because from the Islamic perspective, you see marriage as the unit from which society is built, yeah? But a marriage that you're proposing ensures that a woman is subservient to her husband, she can be disciplined and raped, according to the Quran. According to the Hadith, if she refuses to let her husband sleep with her, the angels will curse her all night long. What proof, Daniel, do you have to show that women who are completely subservient are in the happiest marriages? What studies have shown that wives who are raped or beaten are better off than couples who consider one another as equals and human beings? What studies show that marriages where the husband takes extra wives, controls the wife, where she's encouraged to stay home, get permission to leave the house, are more successful? I don't understand how this 
lends up in a more loving, caring family unit, as you claim. Polygamy, for example, has not only demonstrably shown to decrease the well-being of the wives who share that husband, but it really damages the children. Because they're raised in that polygamous household, they're all competing for the love of their father, who's obviously that all the kids are from different mothers. That undermines your whole argument, Daniel, because you're claiming to make children, women, society happier. But the very structure that you want to employ to do it promotes discontentment and dissatisfaction all around. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I might have left Islam, but as a woman, the idea of this marriage does not sound appealing at all. Um, funnily enough, the idea of being under the authority of a man who can beat me, rape me, legally cheat on me does not seem to be that tantalizing, I'm afraid. It's only exacerbated by the fact that under de facto Islam, women don't have the right to divorce. Um, so even with the introduction of khullah, things are slightly better. But from my own experience, I know how difficult it is. The threshold for wanting to leave the marriage is so high. And even then, you're always encouraged to reconcile despite any abuse. So... And again, Islam's definition of good treatment is shocking. Beating a wife, you're a hero that's keeping their wife in check. And it's divinely sanctioned domestic violence. You're acting from a God-given right. That's natural in Islam. That would not fly under any other system other than an Islamic one. Um, and again, you're arguing for social modesty, Daniel. Why? Why must a woman be invisible? Because she might attract male attention. The female is blamed for the response of the male. Take accountability. Why can't you show restraint? Again, it just shows this is a man-made injunction. God would not have created two sexes in this way. Uh, James, do I have any? Do I have time left? Minute and fifty-four seconds. Okay, cool. Uh, yes. Daniel, female liberation, intersectional feminism, it's new, it's society is adjusting to it. Um, but have men actually adjusted? Let's ask that question. Are they taking up more of the burden? Women are working now more than ever. I have a fulfilling career and I wouldn't give it up to sit at home all day. Some women want that and that's their choice. The operative word again being choice. So yes, women like myself would like to strike a healthier balance between work and family life when and if I do decide to have children of my own. But the question is, are men shouldering more of the burden? So when you speak of these unhappy women in the West, maybe they are for the very reason that they're having to comply with the pre-existing gender norms as well and try and excel in their career. If the unpaid labor and childcare at home is being done exclusively by one person, then yes, I'm pretty sure they would be bloody miserable and it would definitely take its toll. I think Daniel knows that if women have a choice, most women won't accept what men like Daniel are offering. Granted, some will, but that's besides the point. Give them a choice and let nature decide. Saying women are less happy today is based on social data from in the West, Daniel, from about 50 years ago. A lot's changed. There's a lot of factors to consider. It's not just women's rights that have changed over the last 50 years. There's been technological advancements, economic slumps, and other things. Uh, so you can't just say we're unha unhappier today because feminism or because women have more rights. Also, it does not follow that women are unhappier now because they have more rights. It just doesn't make sense. And I want want to say we're going to jump into the open conversation but do want to say thanks so much folks thrilled about your enthusiasm appreciate all those likes and if you have friends who enjoy these topics hey consider sharing this debate with them or on that online debate group or group anywhere or discord twitter you name it we appreciate your support and with that daniel and naria the floor is all yours okay so let's just get to the last thing you said that women are not at the most depressed that they've ever been. Like this is a documented fact in so many studies. Jonathan Haidt just released 
he's from Yale or, or NYU. He just released a, a huge article on the levels of depression in young women at the highest levels ever. The highest rate of suicidality, like suicide thoughts, depression, uh, mental illness. How can you deny something that is so it even has a name for it. It's called the happiness of women paradox, women's happiness paradox, because just like you, people say it doesn't make sense, but here's the empirical data showing the rates of depression. Are you just going to deny that empirical reality? No, Daniel, I know you always come with these skewed stats and empirical data <laughs> that matches whatever you have to say. But again, you can't, how are you connecting that to what everything that's happening in the West right now? How are you oversimplifying that entire problem. What do, do you say? Do you, first women of all, do you acknowledge women? that it's that's the case? Do you acknowledge no, I, that that's I, you I don't acknowledge that people, people are at the highest levels of depression? I haven't seen these stats that you claim to you can read off anything off the screen. I, I don't need to uh, I'll refer to people. The paradox of declining female happiness by Betsy Stevenson. You can find find it on Yale Law Review, I believe. If you Google search it, that's the first thing that comes up. The paradox of declining female happiness. So people can see it on their screens and not think I'm just making it up. You can go to Jonathan Haidt's article. Uh, he was he just published it. Uh, here's the reference. Social media causes negative mental health outcomes. And in the first paragraph, he says that 57% of um, young women have persistent hopelessness. Persistent hopelessness. That's almost two-thirds. Nearly one-third have seriously considered suicide. Like, it's very callous of you for, to not acknowledge this empirical reality. I think that this is important to address. Social media is a global phenomenon. What, what is your point? Social media is a global phenomenon. You don't think people in, in the East or in Arab countries or around the in Islamic countries are using social media? They're yeah, using that, it but it's a problem. It's causing depression. Why is it, Are you not interested in... So you acknowledge that depression is at all-time highs now? Or you still want to deny it? No, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. What, but, but you can't... You go, okay, so you what could be the causes of it? Like, is it... Do you think it's healthy for young girls to just constantly be exposed to uh, women using all kinds of makeup and uh, wearing all kinds of clothes that are healthy, revealing Daniel, clothes? Does that, do you think that causes be, depression or not? Do you think being forced into a marriage at six years old causes depression or not? We're talking about veiling. No, no, no not even We're depression. We're talking about veiling. Which is, which the is, which debate is, topic is veiling. Not every single feminine issue just, <laughs> in Islam. You're gish you galloping. Why? Why do, do you think? Do you have? Do you think that there are body standard issues that affect a woman's self confidence or a young girl's understanding of her body? Do you know what anorexia is or bulimia? Hundred percent. I agree with that. Like hypersexualizing a little girl would give her mad body issues. I agree. No, it's just through access to images, access to videos, access oh. to undress and nudity what about being normalized in society daniel what about being (laughs) yeah like i said this is something that is found in every single pre-modern society every so you want to say that muslims muslims want to muslims want to one sec just to be sure that i love your guys's enthusiasm but just to be sure there isn't too much over over speaking over each other otherwise they can't hear either side yeah so the the thing is that it's Every society, not that every society wants to keep women invisible. Every society wants to protect this important relationship of marriage and a committed relationship. And to do that, you have to reduce promiscuity. And the thing for men, they are visual creatures. They are enticed by a, a woman's looks, 
Women are also enticed, but they're just attracted to different things like a man's status, like a man's wealth. And so Islam and all of these other cultures, they take measures to reduce the possibility of infidelity because that causes all kinds of problems for society. That's why every culture pre-modern culture, every religion, pre-modern religion, had these kinds of practices in place. That's what mate guarding is, and it's something that's biologically rooted. Islam is just the only religion that has preserved veiling as an aspect. But you saw the slides, you saw those pictures. This is yeah, well documented. Nothing, Daniel, that proves it does. nothing. Also, it people does prove in the a lot. Ergo, it's the truth. No. Also, it's funny you mentioned depression, right? Let's talk about depressive. My, my point with uh, the, but just to respond to what you said, my point with showing those uh, that historical practice is to show how common it is it's not something that's specifically islamic so you can't you can't depict this as just crazy muslims who did something so bizarre and irrational based on uh, their revelation. No, it's something that has a logic to it. It's something that many people independently discovered and practiced. That's the whole point of that kind of argument. And it's not a, a traditional fallacy. I've never even heard that. Appeal to history fallacy. Have you heard of that? Maybe look it up afterwards. Daniel, it's like saying pe uh, every pe pe loads of people discovered and participated in slavery doesn't make it right or okay, or that we should bring it back. So that again, wasn't my argument. Yeah, it was. You literally just said that. The argument. Let me just repeat it. You have okay, this can we huge get the point as well. Afterwards, let's not forget that. The which point? The depression point. Okay, sure. The, the argument is that this is something that has been practiced. Actually, you know, you do you can make an evolutionary argument as well. I don't accept evolution, but as an atheist, do, it, do you accept evolution? Yes. Okay, so why do you think certain practices like mate guarding are found universally? This, they're found universally because these are things that, according to the evolutionary biologists, increase fitness. Yeah, increase fitness, right? So it increased fitness yeah exactly 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 so it was beneficial to the organism mate guarding is beneficial as a sexual selection strategy and if you read david buss and all of these other biologists they say that these kinds of like the jealousy that a man feels when his wife goes and uh touches and talks to and flirts with another man that is biological it is something that That's has fine. developed because I according to these biologists okay. evolutionarily so there is actually an argument to fitness that you as an atheist have to contend with. Why did this kind of practice evolve in human beings? Why is there this biological instinct that humans and many other animals have to guard their mates, to veil their mates, to shield their mates? Why, why is that the case? You have to explain that. You can't just wave it away as a fallacy. Uh, Daniel, so much crazy stuff happens in nature. Some moms eat their babies, some mate and then kill their partner. Okay, some rape the other. Like, you, there's so much whack stuff happening. Those things, those things are not evolutionarily fit. They're not, oh. they're not passed down in the same way as certain major practices or certain other uh, phenotypic... How many empires need to have veiled for you to think it's major enough? Like, this is... All this of them? All of them? Oh, oh, well, all of them have not veiled, so then that, your argument falls well, flat. Uh, the history actually shows that many of them did. A high proportion of them did. And you see this in the animal kingdom. Like, all of that is evidence that you just want to wave away. Like, if you, if you say that mate guarding is invalid, then how can you protect a relationship? Like, how can you protect... A, how can you have a committed long-term relationship when men and women can just cheat as, with 
to their heart's content with no but, consequence. But in Islam, you can cheat and you, it's just How? legalized. How? You, you can have four wives. That's not cheating. That's marriage. It's legalized cheating, right? You get four no. wives. Your wife doesn't get the same thing. You've trapped this one woman. Women don't you, want you to have, have multiple male partners. They want to have one high status that's partner. Not, that's not true. Uh, that is. Yes, it is. Do you, this it, it is. Do you know what hypergamy is? I know what hypergamy is. Yes. What, what is it? What is it? If it is when you basically want to marry up and you want to meet a man who has more to offer than you economically and socially. Right. Um, so are, are men hypergamous? No, let me talk. You haven't let me speak in, speak in a long time. Okay. You, I need to counter some of your points. There's the thing you said about depression, right? There was a study done um, on a 2020 study on the motives behind the veil done by the Journal of Research in Personality. Okay. It was carried out by Illinois Institute of Technology, University of Reading, a child and adult therapy center in Saudi and Cardiff University. Okay. And it showed that if a woman freely wants to wear a veil, it is positively associated with life satisfaction. Research shows that when people have autonomous motives, right, they feel positive emotions. The study comprised of 542 women from Saudi and 249 in Iran. Women reported more negative, effective experiences wearing a veil when feeling like they had no choice in the matter. Perceiving no choice in wearing a veil consistently related to worst effective experiences. Wearing a veil to avoid social disapproval showed overall lower life satisfaction. How many Muslim women in Muslim countries, Daniel, can say the commandment to veil is truly and purely their free and fair choice? You want it to be um, a requirement anyway, right? But we so, see. So women in the West are required to cover their chests and to cover their genitals. Do they feel like this lack of a choice is causing them trauma, is causing them to have uh, less authenticity or identity? Daniel, how are you comparing <laughs> that to the hijab? Honestly, it's a force. It's it's like forced. That. You have to. Are you like? Are you advocating What's nudism, nudism, or do you agree? Or do you agree? To. There are nudists, right? But yeah, no, no you, women cannot bare their chests. No, it's illegal. You can women go cannot to bare their chest. They cannot show their oh genitals. And Daniel, public. have you ever been to a music festival? And I, I no, I, I, that's a silly question. You probably haven't. You um, studied law, right? You know that nudity, public nudity, is illegal, right? You know that. But there's certain places where, of course, you're not. <laughs> no, no. Do it. Answer is is it illegal or not? Is in the UK? Can you go? You're in London or something? Can you go into to the streets of London uh, bare chested and showing your private parts? Is that legal, or will the, will the police force you to cover up? Uh, no, we have topless protests here. Welcome to the 21st century. No, no. In the in general, like without like a actual zone for a protest, can you just go out into the street and bare your chest and genitals? Yes or no? No, not like that. No. Oh, okay, so are women traumatized by that? Are women traumatized by that? Are, no, are British women traumatized? Why not? They're being forced. Their choice is being taken away. No, Daniel, that that's not. It's that's a non sequitur. That makes no sense. Sure. Okay. But, no, I knew you were going to say that hijab is an extra piece of clothing argument. That makes no sense. But listen to this. Oh. Okay, we talk about depression. Uh, you are stifling a woman's individuality completely. Do you know that every single research journal on depression states that expressing individuality and creativity, allowing yourself to dress how you want, expressing yourself can help with de depression. So Muslim men who force women like you to dress strictly one way can actually cause depressive symptoms. Since I mean, you haven't explained the overarching phenomenon that you have the highest rates of depression and we have the most possibility for self-expression. You can do all kinds of nudity and pornography online and it's completely legal. If we have the highest levels of 
uh, nudity and ability to express yourself through your naked body, then we should be seeing euphoria and high levels of satisfaction in society among women. But we don't see that. Why? But that's you assuming that the West is absolutely perfect. And I don't concede that it is. But I'm not. I didn't say that. Yeah, no, but you're saying that there's mental health here is so bad. Therefore, Islam. I didn't didn't say that. I just wanted you to acknowledge that mental health for women specifically is at all time, you know, terrible levels. What helps explain that part of it is body dysmorphia caused by images, constant <laughs> Daniel, images that's maybe people. That's like saying, a, okay, yeah, you laugh about it. It's they, a good, it's a good laugh. Factors. Women it's suffering is a good laugh. Women suffering is, is, is such a big oh, laugh for funny. you. You say that when you're the one that wants to cage them in, rape them, beat them. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is just called a uh, ad hominem or this is just a straw man that you're creating. No, Where did, did you, I talk about raping women? Agree? Like you, you're just, you you're so bigoted. You're so bigoted and Islamophobic that when you see a Muslim, you just say, Oh, um, you want to rape and bait, uh, beat women. Like that's your right wing bias. It's really disgusting Daniel, to see Daniel, this much Daniel, hate. I thought I was arguing with someone who has Daniel, an education in, in, your, in law, in your, not a bigot. Let's kick it In over. your perfect Sharia world, would you not be allowed to beat your wives? Right now, you're sitting, you can't because the police will be on to you. But in your perfect world, would you not be allowed to discipline your wife? So spousal discipline is something that exists in every single religion. Christianity in the Bible advocates it. Judaism in the Hebrew Bible advocates it. The Talmud advocates it. Buddhism advocates it. Buddhism Uh, says to beat your wife. Jainism advocates it. Advocates Daniel, it. Daniel, Hinduism don't, advocates don't it. So this claims. is something that spousal Daniel, discipline it. is something that is proven. Prove that Buddhism allows okay, for spousal on. beating. Okay. We I'll, I'll prove it to you right now. We'll wait. Want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. That includes the podcast as Modern Day Debate puts all of our debates from YouTube onto the podcast and we link our guests, including Daniel and Nuria, there as well. I also have a video on this on my channel if everyone wants to see this quote-unquote wife beating in every religion, but since she's calling me out for proof. So let's see. One Buddhist treatise states, quote, a nun of 100 years of age shall perform the correct duties to a monk. She shall with her hands folded in prayerful attitude rise to greet him and then bow down to him. This will be done with appropriate words of salutation. Train your girls actively alert to cherish the husband always, not to the, not to that man who brings every, her every joy she offers light, not will a good wife move to wrath her husband by some spiteful word. And she reveals all reveres all whom her husband honors for she is wise, deaf, nimble, up at times she minds his wealth amid his folks at work and sweetly orders all a wife like this who is who with her husband's wish and will complies is born again where lovely divas dwell. And then the Buddha is stated, is quoted as saying, are impure, foul-smelling, frightening, dangerous uh, women. They betray their friends. They're wrathful, hostile, a virulent venom, double-tongued, and they betray friends. For the most part, they are adulterists. Uh, He also states, women are lustful, profligate, vile, and degraded. Why be passion-tossed for a vile woman? If you look at the Thamasat from Thailand, the religious law, Buddhist religious law, it advocates polygamy, slavery, sex with slaves. Go and look at the Dhammasat. That's another legal treatise, uh, which quotes as she, the meaning of the wife, should be well admonished 
well admonished and only the open palm of the hand used, meaning to strike her. So this is, is well documented. From the Buddha is himself, is this from the saying from the Buddha or not? It's, I read you the Buddha statements about women being vile, venomous snakes, and he advocated. Is that the Buddha himself saying? Yeah, the Dhammasat is based on the Buddha's teachings. Yeah, but is that a quote from the Buddha himself, or is that. You asked for a Buddhist text, an authoritative Buddhist text, and I gave you more than one. Buddha advocated it the way Muhammad did, but okay. The Buddha advocated leaving women entirely. The Buddha advocated abandoning your wife and your children for the sake of achieving nirvana. That's what the Buddha, Zen, you know, Zen Buddhism is advocating leaving your family for that purpose. So it's I actually want, more than beating. It's like you can leave your family to starvation. I do want to, one, before we go further, because I know you got a round in the chamber ready to fire, Nuria, but I do want to redirect us just to be a, more central to the topic. The other thing is, folks, we cannot take any more questions. We've had a short Q&A tonight. We potentially will have another debate as this one is, people have been responding to this. I expect it to be positive, but it is overwhelmingly positive. So maybe we'll do a part two. But I do have to tell you folks that for tonight, we do have to do a short Q&A. So we cannot take any more questions. Please don't super chat. Don't do not do any more questions. We just can't take them anymore. But going back to you, Nuria, in terms of, like I said, returning to the kind of the central thesis of the debate. Yeah, sure. I just, Daniel, I, I need you to actually present some evidence that show that forcibly covering women up is what makes a society happier or better. Do you have any explicit proof to show that? Because you can't just say like more covering equals less divorce. And you can't say that that's the actual case. And look at the West because of the mental health crisis. Uh, go, it's because of social media and OnlyFans. Where is the proof that forced coverings make marriages happier? Okay, because we've seen whenever women are given a choice, how do you explain this? You are trying to give women something that they don't want. Most women, when given the choice, will not choose to cover up. That includes Muslim women in countries where it's not forced on them. So, I I mean, do you think that people, whatever people want should be the law? Like just whatever people subjectively think is good, like they should be allowed to do everything. We have laws that restrict people's choices and the laws are supposed to be based on what is actually going to help society, what is going to help the individual. So I'm not, I'm not no, against, you're I'm, saying that it's gonna I'm help not against, society. yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the whole evidence I gave in my opening statement that veiling and gender separation reduces promiscuity. And this is proven, look, Go to religion and sexual behavior, understanding the influence of Islamic cultures and religious affiliation for explaining sex outside of marriage by Amy Adamzik in the American Sociological Review. She talks about how the levels of cheating, infidelity, and promiscuity and STDs are far lower in Muslim countries and Muslim societies. Look at the HIV rate in Africa. Muslim countries in Africa have the lowest rates of STDs and HIV compared to other countries. Is this due to gender norms, gender separation, veiling? Yes, absolutely. Read the studies. Daniel, there's also studies to show that women engage in just as much casual sex and everything, regardless. Where? So I what study? See, what study? There, there are studies that counter your claims. You no, you're just saying that, but you haven't pr- bring the no. study that is countering my claim. Okay, let, let me <laughs> let me get your entire argument, right? You try and, and make patriarchy this thing, and you use all of this modern data and try and manipulate it 
to fit this one constraint in history where patriarchy was the leading phenomenon, and it has been for many years. But you can see that every society is moving towards a more egalitarian one. What you are trying to do is stifle half of the population and take us back to 1400 years ago, where I know you're not ashamed to say, you've mentioned it very lightly today, harsh punishments, but I know you're fully for the Hadood punishments. You're even for child marriage. Which is crazy, but no, this is gish galloping. You want to bring no, every no, topic but, but and not even, give me a chance to respond. You want to accuse me of advocating I'm rape? No, no, you're accusing me of advocating for rape, child marriage, beating. So you you want to bring everything do you, do you in the kitchen sink? Well, yeah, I just to be sure I, there's not too much interruption. To be fair to Daniel, because it is a controversial point you brought up, I do want to give yeah. him a brief chance to respond regarding some of those topics. And then I do want to give you both a five-minute warning. We've got to go into the Q&A really fast because, like I said, we do want to keep that promise of getting you guys out of here at the time we promise. So go ahead. Yeah, for that so, last so you are just throwing out these kinds of accusations because there's no time for me to respond to all of these things. So this is, a, this is called gish galloping. It's a shotgun tactic in debates, and it's, it's quite dishonest. Stay on the topic of hijab. We can have a separate debate on these other issues, and I have debated them in other uh, debates with other people. So, yeah, I completely disagree with your characterization. It's just a right-wing, bigoted characterization against Muslims and Islam. Like, this is not a uh, respectable debate tactic that you're using. Go ahead and explain to me how you can make guard, explain to me how all of these societies have mate guarding practices, veiling practices. It's argued to be something evolutionary because you also see it in the animal kingdom. Explain how uh, what we're seeing today with the opposite, nudity, pornography, spreading all kinds of uh, images of women, uh, which leads to promiscuity, how that can be possibly better for society. Daniel, first of all, you can't equate mate guarding to the hijab. That that's also an unfair, uh, like corresponding thing. How, how that that doesn't work. But also, I yeah, okay. First of all, you're saying that you're going to make women happier by veiling them. Tell me how how is a happier marriage going to occur when a woman is forced to do something she doesn't want to do? An unhappy wife does not equal a happy marriage, right? Okay, I understand. I'll even concede your point. Men are natural born protectors. I agree, right? Women. Do, are, do are, men have any obligations in marriage? Do women have me? any? Do women have any obligations in marriage? Yes, to be an equal like partner as a teammate. Uh, no, partner is not an obligation. What is a duty of a wife? Like, yeah, does I, a does a husband have a duty to provide for his wife? Not to not provide for his children. Yeah. No, just love, respect, and trust. <laughs> so a, a man. Can impregnate his wife. He can impregnate his wife, and he can just leave, uh, and she's stuck with children, and he has no consequences. That's you know that's not actually what the well, law says, right? Well, the law in Islam says he can if he lives in the GCC or Pakistan, he can text message her a lot three times and never see her he again. Still, yeah, in Islam, he still has to uh, pay child support. He still has to take care of the child according to that to his due. So Islam and the you Western system acknowledge that there are obligations. That there yes. are obligations, right? So that's men have men law. have obligations. Do women have any obligations in no, marriage? That, that's why we have the law. We don't need Islam to do that for us. Do, we do have women, in whatever law, law it might be, Western law, Islamic law, do women have any obligations in marriage? But what do they bring to the marriage? What do what? Do, no, no, because you're <laughs> setting out predefined ones. I'm saying let two people decide for themselves. Why do you but have the to man say can't decide decide for himself? I just explained how the man cannot decide for himself. He is forced under, by law to pay for 
the women that he has with his children. He has to be held accountable for the decisions that he makes and the contractual agreement that he's made to enter into a marriage. But I ask you if women have any obligations, and you can't think of a single one. Yeah, women, women can just do whatever child, they want. Women, women have the child-rearing obligation. That's always on the woman. Oh, so they don't have reproductive choice? They can't abort whenever they want? Up to a certain le le level, yes. Okay, so then where's, what's the obligation? That's the question. You just the negated your point. When the man has like left she them. Can opt out. She can opt out of rearing the child. How? By, through abortion. Uh, how can you, not every state in America even permits abortion today. Women in the West are still fighting. Do you agree with those laws then? You, you agree seconds. that women should not be allowed to, to abort. Or adoption. She can just oh, give them I up for adoption. Well, what, what do you mean give them up for adoption? The woman, if she doesn't want her child, she can, she can abort. Yeah, exactly. That shows you, that proves my point. She can opt out of raising children in multiple ways, through abortion, through putting Daniel, the child up for adoption. A man can't do that. Do you know some women don't even know they're pregnant until like the, the seventh month sometimes, you know, and that's way past the date of, of abortion. Do you know how many complications? It's just weird to me that as a man, you're sitting there and saying women have it so easy and we have all a these man, you have A man no has all of these obligations that he is obligated to because of the marriage contract, but you Daniel, can't think of Daniel, one obligation that a woman you, has. No, how dare you sit there all smug because Islam yeah. has given you absolutely everything yeah, that you, yeah. you absolutely want. Absolutely everything, but, yeah. I've got yeah exactly. Uh, no, it's no wonder that you follow you can't this. Even th you can't even think of one thing that a woman is required to do in a marriage. Man has all of these I, obligations I, I according I to you. I don't agree. Besides how is that fair? Child, how is that fair, Maria? How is that equality? Got to do this. I hate to do it, but we have to go into the Q&A. That's the very definition of equality. We it's helping to go into the Q &A. you. Equality means that this, a woman... But, all right. I hate to do it, but just because we have so many questions, I do want to move as fast as we possibly can. We do, we do have a limited time. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. I want to say oh. our guests are linked in the description. Really do appreciate them. They are the lifeblood of the channel, folks. So huge thank you to Daniel and Nuriel. We're going to jump into the Q&A right Right now, folks, we really. Sorry, like, did we real... get a closing or not at all? It's no. fine if we don't. Okay. Negative, but I do want to say, folks, holy smokes! Yeah, we have so many questions. It's crazy. We cannot take any more questions, and that's been the case for like I don't know, fifteen minutes, ten minutes, something like that. Yeshua King says, "Is it true when living under Sharia?" And by the way, we really do want questions to be focused on the topic. So. They said, is it true when living under Sharia and you refuse to no longer wear the hijab as a Muslim that you can be killed because covering is a binding scholarly consensus that would constitute apostasy? No, there is nothing like that. If a woman decides not to veil, she will face all kinds of shaming. She will, you know, just like a woman who in the West decides to go around topless at work or, you know, acts, dresses promiscuously in the workplace. You have all kinds of dress codes in schools. Uh, HR has all kinds of policies in every single company on how a woman can dress and what part of her body can she can show and not show. If, if people violate those dress codes and those norms, there is social sanction. There are consequences for that. That exists in every society, uh, including in Islam, but it's not a death penalty. Um, this is why we see that veiling has been the dominant practice throughout history in many diverse societies, uh, independently of each other, because they all came to the same conclusion that veiling is an excellent way to prevent promiscuity, to prevent infidelity, to prevent children outside of marriage who have to suffer because like they, this is... 
I've got to move. I've got to give you. I can give you a chance to wrap up, Daniel. But then I got to go to the move, go to the next one. We've got so many questions. Well, give me a chance to wrap up instead of her interrupting me while I'm talking. The question was for me. So if I'm going to get all these questions about Islam, uh, then I should get the ch- opportunity to answer them without getting interrupted. Yeah, but, but it's you can. Waffling, but go ahead. No, no, no it's idea. not waffling. Yeah. So, like I'm saying, the, the reason that you see this practice throughout societies is, is because it works. Um, and it, there's a clear benefit to it. And part of, and the West still includes some of these veiling practices, but it's going away in favor of this porn culture. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. They say the moment you take off the veil and walk a path of promiscuity, you're just telling everyone that you're trash. Even the Western man, we already know what he says about you in their rap songs. Your own doing. I think that's for you, Nuria. Oh, was that a more of a comment at me or was that I, a question? I don't think they mean that you're being promiscuous. I think they're <laughs> just saying that this is about women in general who take off the veil. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the first that's the first accusation we've always got. Oh, you left Islam or you took off your job to go and do this. It's exactly the same narrative that Daniel peddles. They don't understand that people can live fulfilling lives just by having empowered choice. Daniel, I could go out in a bikini tomorrow or wear an abaya. The fact is that I have a choice to do that. I'm not going to end up like Mahsa Amini, who I can't believe you so cheaply, like said that the way she died wasn't even real. But yeah, that that's a complete like... Uh, weird narrative they peddle about people who take off their hijab the fact is many of those girls were coerced to wear it in the first place there's hardly any families where there's not societal pressure or familial pressure or duress behind wearing it or the the ostracization from society like daniel was talking about the strict punishments uh the i don't know what what he called it societal laws or whatever you said but yeah it's not the case This one coming in from Daniel's buddy, Harris Sultan, says, Thank you, Daniel, for proving Muslim men with archaic cultures and animals like gorillas. Is Daniel going to justify human sacrifice too? And we'll give you a chance to respond to that because it's not quite on topic. Yeah, I don't even know what it means. Like human sacrifice? Like what are you talking about? The fact that um, atheists like... Harris Sultan and Nuria and whatever other loser, their idea of humanity is we are evolved apes. So the fact that uh, apes, uh, gorillas, chimpanzees, uh, all of these different animals have this kind of mate guarding behavior, including veiling, uh, you know, forms of veiling with your with the animal's body or with nesting. Uh, you have to explain this as an atheist. Like, why is this common? Why is this evolutionarily adaptive? So don't put the bird. Don't like call Islam ape-like or whatever. That's your, you know, belief system of in evolution. So this it's like a self, in, self goal. This one coming in, they say today you will, you tell us where you stand. Do you stand with the believers or stand with the Munich, Munific queen, Munificin? <laughs> Please do tell us, O oh, enemies of Allah. What's a Munificin? Munificin means hypocrite. Okay. What this one from mean? Harris Sultan strikes again, says a study published in the Journal of Sex Research in 2010 found that men and women were equally likely to engage in casual sex. Why did you ignore this study, Daniel? They were equally likely to engage in casual sex. Actually, women are more likely to engage in casual sex in the West, in the liberalized West. Why? Because of all kinds of technologies like Tinder. If you look at the stats, women are much more involved in casual sex because they can just 
uh, use apps to get white one night stands whenever they want. It's men who are actually not getting uh, any access to sex. A large percentage of men, uh, around 50% are um, basically celibate because they can't find a partner. This is a tragedy. This is something that's extremely depressing for men. And Islam has a solution for that kind of celibacy, forced celibacy that people have to endure. Uh, what's creating this situation is feminism. It's empowerment of women. It's nudity. It's pornography that women can just go and hook up with, ever, with whomever that they want. They are getting much more sexual access than men are. So uh, this study, I, Harris Sultan can't even cite a study properly, like give the full name of what it was. Uh, but it's based on, you know, it's contradicted by a co- ton of other evidence. Samar, thanks to your question, says Daniel mentions that the veil is not a piece of cloth, but a term that's symbolic of gender relations. Can conservative gender relations be preserved without the piece of cloth or similar garment? How? Yeah, because mate guarding is a large phenomenon that includes not just veiling, like the piece of cloth is part of it, but also gender separation. And uh, there are societies that didn't have veiling. I never claim that every single society had veiling. The majority of them did. But even the ones that didn't, such as certain hunter and gatherer societies, they didn't necessarily have the veil because that kind of technology wasn't developed at that time. But they had gender separation. They did have gendered spaces like the woman's tent or the woman's domicile versus where men could gather. So this kind of gender separation uh, has always existed. Mate guarding has always existed because it is a biological phenomenon. Veiling, though, is is a very effective way of of doing that because women will have to move around society and uh, come in contact with strange men. And in order to avoid temptation and in order to avoid promiscuity, Veiling is a, an excellent way to prevent those kinds of harms that can come to society through that behavior. You got it. This one coming in from Abdul Rahman says, out of curiosity, what qualifications does Nuria have regarding Islam? Does she read pamphlets to get knowledge like <laughs> Phi expert Harris Snailton? I think they, I don't know what Phi expert means. Feek expert? I think he means fiqh, yeah, which is like, yeah, the Islamic jurisprudence and stuff. Uh, Yeah, I read the biggest pamphlet, the biggest scam of Islam, the Quran. Uh, So, yeah, and the Hadith. That's my uh, expertise. I'm going to read questions for Nuria first because we have so many questions that Daniel, if you each have to leave in nine minutes, I understand. No, I have time. Nuria, it sounds like you're more time bound or kind of like time restricted that you might have to leave. If you have to leave, my I would like to still save the questions that are for Daniel for once you have to leave, Nuria. I will yeah. promise to ask, I'll ask Daniel right now if he'd be willing to only respond to those questions without jabbing you while you're not here. And I'm sure Daniel is willing to oblige. And that way, a lot of, because there's so many questions that a lot of people are going to be like, hey, James, like, what's the deal, man? And so we'll let you go, Nuria. So in nine minutes before I ask these last questions that are for you in particular. Samer says, Nuria claims men and women are equal without justifying it. How are they equal? Obviously, they have different complementary competencies, physically and emotionally. Do you mean legally equal or spiritually equal? In what way are they equal? 
Yes, legally, spiritually, if you want. I don't really like that word, but as human beings, the very fact that they're human beings makes them equal um, in, in everybody's eyes. So, that yeah, of course, biologically, we're built differently, but uh, nothing like the claims that Islam says where women are deficient in religion, um, amongst other things, and we need two witnesses as opposed to one male witness. The way that, the way that Islam degrades women, uh, there's never a chance for gender equality. So, yeah. I did just because I think uh, his question is, I think he was meaning like how like if you let's say, for example, if you took scores on men's and women's verbal verbal abilities like IQ, women tend to be a bit higher than men. And then on quantitative skills, like men tend to be on average a little bit higher. I think he's saying like, is there what's the physical empirical variable that they're like matched on? Or would you say it sounds like you might be saying? You're saying, like, in the eyes of the law, they're deemed as legal. That's what you're maybe saying. Yeah, just for the nature of this debate, because it's more about, like, hijab, which was a veiling, which was regressive towards women. So for the intents and purposes of the conversation, legally especially, yes. Uh, obviously, like, the human mind is complicated. Men and women are built differently in various things. And, you know, some men they operate more from the right side of their brain, and they're more well suited to certain subjects as you said but again there's no there's no difference in our processing or iq capabilities per se across the board you got it khaled ibrahim says for Nuria, have you read a single book of thick i think you guys said it was pronounced yep. yeah it's thick yeah no i would never waste my time reading that stuff i mean i've read snippets of it for videos i've made and the way it talks about intercourse with minors and things like that it's too much of a dark read it's i would not recommend it to anybody this Just one coming debate, in debate islam but don't read the source text. Uh, yeah well i mean if you want to become like a master in child marriage as i'm sure you already are then that's what you need that manual for Just stick to pamphlets this one coming in from emory emory king says this is five dollars for naria to speak for a minute without Daniel interrupting her. Wow. Well, is there anything that from the debate, Naria, that you maybe didn't get to touch on and that you were like, hey, I really wanted to address this point, but time ran out because I know that the open dialogue was cut short. Oh, thank you so much for whoever sent that super chat. I really appreciate it. I do feel like Daniel did get uh, quite a lot more time to talk over me. You also just threw out words like uh, hypergamy and stuff. We never even really got to go into it. Um, but again, even if you want to say that that is like the biological tendency of women, you know as well that that was a survival mechanism at a time for women when marriage was the only thing that determined a woman's status in life. And in fact, um, when the gender revolution began in the mid 20th century, they also thought it would bring about the end of hypergamy. So again, you are conflating this with greed and trying to paint women in a negative light for even wanting to do this. I don't understand why you don't expect that some women would be ambitious and we wouldn't want men to bring something of equal value to the table, if not more. And even if this is the case, why are you not just letting the natural trajectory play out. Um, it just seems weird that if you think this is a natural desire, women, yes, Daniel, once they become more educated, they will desire more, um, especially when they're looking for a life partner to settle down with. Your idea of a woman wanting and not settling is very selfish. And again, I'm saying that it's because Islam is catered to everything you want as a man. Um, so it's not surprising. But just look at what you're asking for. The more you see what Islam offers, 
you see how women in Afghanistan and Iran are pushing back against exactly what you were advocating for. But yeah, thank you, James. You got Can it. Can I respond to the, the point about hypergamy? Like it shows that you don't know what you're talking about. Hypergamy is a woman's desire for someone who is higher in status. It didn't go away with the sexual revolution. Women still, including you probably, you want to marry someone who's bigger and taller than you, who is more wealthy than you, who has uh, more muscles than you. Like, do you want that in a spouse awesome. or do you want someone who's smaller than you? more muscles than me well okay that's hypergamy so hypergamy Daniel, hypergamy didn't go away hypergamy didn't go away with the feminist yeah, do, revolution do, do you understand that what i'm saying is that there was a point in time where women had no choice but to rely on that when everything was determined by the man you married you just admitted you just ad to go you, to we're moving beyond that now where women how are you how are you moving beyond it you. you just said that that's what you personally desire is a man with more muscles than you so how have you moved beyond it as a society we don't need men in the same way daniel that's what i'm trying to say from the 20th why century do, why do you need a man that? with more muscles why do you no, no, you're being so childish i'm not even responding to that you know we're <laughs> biologically built different how is that even like how does that make sense to you a man with if he has less muscle than me is he, what you you need to move beyond it. You need to marry a man who's smaller than you, weaker than you. Like he's under five foot. A soy boy. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you need to find a soy boy so you can move beyond hypergamy because society doesn't need it anymore. Why don't you move? Why don't you move beyond these hateful right, boys? Are, are, the are these the young eternal boys you're waiting for in Jannah, Daniel? Is that what you're referring yeah. to? You sure. This one it's, coming in from. Anan Yamaus says, and I think this is supposed to be sincere, even though I know it's a, it can come off as a barbed question. They say, should a woman be allowed to lead a country if she happens to be having her cycle? I think they're asking, and I, I think that they're actually sincere, even though it is a offensive question. I think yeah, they're I'm asking. I'm not going to clarify that with a response because that's a very, very lame question. Daniel, this has to be one of your followers, surely. <laughs> like okay. only, only a Muslim could ask the question like that, honestly. I mean, do you find the uh, like uh, the period as something shameful? Why can't you answer that oh, question? Not at all. I don't find it then shameful. Why, then why I'm can't you dignify it with a response? No, you're not going to rile me into this corner because I think that's a disgustingly stupid is uh, menstruation like, to ask. You well, find, it, it's a practical question. You find it impure and unclean, Daniel. The rest of us don't. It's natural. No. Again, welcome. Yeah, it is natural. You're the one who said you, you don't want to dignify yeah. it with a response. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's natural. It's something. Question. Oh, this if one... it's natural, then why are women considered to have be less religious because of it or have less iman? No. This where one... is that from? You're just making stuff up now. Oh, you this don't one. know the women. Women, women have less iman because they have menstruation. Yes. The prophet no. said you can't fast or pray when you're menstruating. Therefore, you're deficient in religion. Is that that not doesn't mean less iman? Like you don't understand the it hadith. It doesn't say you have, they have less iman. Yes. Oh my goodness, it does translate. Don't. Why are you lying to the public? Why do you lie? Where does where is iman in that hadith? Point this out iman in that hadith. Do you even know Arabic? We can we can end with a more uh, one that's more. Uh, Friendly. They say, Hakeem, Hakeem Jai, appreciate it. It says, Naria, you are a brave woman. Best wishes, sister. Oh, and, thank you. I know, Daniel, I don't need to know that colonized language. Thank you very much. What I'd like to do is, Naria, if you have to take off, totally understandable. Like I said, I'm sorry that I broke the promise of wrapping up when we would be wrapping up. Okay. So That's my fault. I apologize for that. If you I have had to take all these off, technical problems. Totally understandable. I can assure you, like I said, like, like, let's make a deal, Daniel, that when Naria's not here, 
I'm sure you won't uh, take jabs at Nuria, and you'll just stick with the questions from the actual people in the chat, because there are plenty of questions that you can uh, take jabs at instead of Nuria. Do you promise, Daniel, or are you doing Takia? <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't mention you. I'll mention feminism, uh, probably, and liberalism, but that's what I always talk about. So. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Anyway, this was fun. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, bye. Take Thank care. You. Thanks, Nuria. Appreciate it. Have a good night. And Bye. I have to be fair, Daniel. Some of these questions are probably going to be barbed toward you. And so I'm going to adjust the screen. And while I do that, I want to say, folks, <clears throat> do want to say, while I'm adjusting the screen so it's a little bit easier to see, want to remind you that Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you're from. Whether you be Muslim, atheist, Christian, you name it, we are appreciative of you being here. And I also, really quick, want to show this photo, or I should say this painting, of, we do appreciate it, this is, a, you could consider this an intermission before we go into the bloodbath of the rest of the questions for Daniel. As I said, Daniel, some of these are going to be barbed. I have to be fair that I have to read the offensive ones uh, to you, just like I read the, the offensive one for Rio, which, I, like I said, sure. I, I do think that was, that the person was trying to, they maybe have a opinion on the thing that was asked about such that they were asking a, a it wasn't i didn't think it was a troll but let me just readjust the screen two moments want to say thanks so much for all of your support this is one of the most liked debates in terms of like our live viewership right now people have enjoyed this debate immensely so we want to say thanks for your support appreciate all those likes folks and i'm going to jump into these questions oh like i did say i would show you this painting you guys can let me know if this looks like me this is a portrait someone did this this painting that they had said james i want you to, and you can see it i don't have it in the zoom window so i'm sorry about that if you're watching on Daniel's stream, if you really want to see the painting, it's a beautiful painting, a tremendous painting. You can see it here at the live stream over at Modern Day Debate. You can always keep both tabs open if you're watching live at more than one channel. And so thank you very much for sending and making that painting of me. I'm very flattered. I wish I looked like that. That's a true Chad, as Daniel would say. <laughs> so I'm going to jump into these questions. Apostate Prophet, one of your greatest rivals, and says, Daniel, <laughs> numerous research, research uh, suggests from Lankford, Defar, and Gilead find that sexual repression and shame lead to hypersexuality, lower happiness, lower confidence, and possibly even increased crime. How is that good? Can you give me the reference again? Like the Yeah, they said uh, in parentheses, Lankford. And then Defar, so it's D-H-U-F-F-A-R. And then Gilead, which I think is G, it's a little, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. I think it's G-I-L-I-L-A-N-D in parentheses. And what was the name of the article? He didn't mention that, but he quoted, he said that they find that sexual repression and shame lead to hypersexuality. In other words, you know, you know what that means and lower happiness and lower confidence and possibly crime increasing that's all he yeah. gave me yeah i don't know about crime increasing because of repressed sexual shame like we can look at the crime stats in muslim countries we can look at again the std rates we can look at the rate of promiscuity in societies that veil so i'm not seeing that where this study uh, Langford, Defar, and Gilead 
Uh, I'm still trying to look for it where it says that um, this leads to increase in crime and it can you can have hypersexuality in the confines of your marriage in Islam. And it's been shown that uh, conservative couples have more sex uh, in their marital relationship than um, single liberal people. So this is something that has been uh, established empirically. And when you look at veiling societies in particular, again, go to Amy Adam Zick, um, the site study that I studied. It's a very broad study looking at many different countries, Muslim countries, Christian countries, and so forth. The levels of uh, infidelity, cheating, STDs, all of these negative associations that come with promiscuity, the negative factors that come with promiscuity, those are decreased in Muslim societies. And I, I'm not claiming it's just because of veiling. It's because of this entire system of gender separation and stigmatizing uh, basically um, uh, casual sex, uh, stigmatizing infidelity and backing it up with social shame and stigma and so forth. You got it. Thank you very much for this question coming in from Harris Sultan says, Muslim men equal beetles and gorillas in parentheses, or I should say in quotes. He says that this is a quote from from you, Daniel. I don't understand. I don't understand it either. The beetles, like these are just examples from the animal kingdom. Um, many examples, like with insects, with mammals, with reptiles, like mate guarding. It's just unbelievable that atheists have no clue about these basic facts about biology and the animal kingdom, but they claim to be evolutionists. So they know that, okay, yeah, people are evolved from apes, but they literally know nothing about the animal kingdom or apes themselves. So it's, I think, own goal whenever they bring up chimpanzees or apes. The, the whole point of citing these animal studies is to show that there's a biological basis for these kinds of practices. Islam is not just imposing something that is unheard of or that is something delete, deleterious or uh, bad for women or men. It's a practice. If it were bad, if it's something that were problematic for the benefit of an individual woman or for a family or for a society, then why did it um, spread? Like, why was there such a dispersion uh, and spread of the genes for mate guarding? Like the evolutionary explanation is that mate guarding is ad adaptive. It brings fitness. That's why it's spread throughout the animal kingdom and throughout human society. So it, the burden, burden is on the atheist to explain how evolution went wrong, how, you know, all of these evolutionary processes went wrong to create a, a situation where something that is bad for people is actually adaptive and is creating fitness and has evolved. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Hira Rodriguez says, Daniel used history and independent study to make his case. You got a fan out there, Daniel. This one from ES1002 says, on Reddit ex-Muslim, there's a video of a kid that was beaten for not wearing her hijab right. Why does a little girl need to cover herself, Daniel? Why? I don't know what that video is or what it's referring to. Like if someone is getting beat by for not wearing hijab, yeah, that's... Um, like violently beat, then that's a problem. Um, and I don't necessarily endorse, endorse like physically hurting someone. Um, but again, like these things are exaggerated into hoaxes, as we saw multiple times in this debate. Um, we need to actually see the facts. Like you're saying someone was spanked, like a little girl was spanked. 
how do we know it was because of not veiling like like unless you're just completely against any kind of discipline like any kind of spanking and what have you okay that's a separate argument but um, you know many societies accept spanking even american western society has had that notion of discipline for children for a spouse for whatever this one from Sheik DeWood says, do veils protect Muslim women from being sold by their family members to other Muslim men for temporary marriage and sex, in parentheses, muta? I'm not an expert on the requirements of muta marriage. That's a Shia thing. I'm not Shia. So this one from Nancy Abdelman says, Daniel is the, Is Daniel is the Elliot, the Islamic Elliot Rogers. Who's Elliot Rogers? Some incel radical. <laughs> you got it. Yeshua DeKing says, was my pre-debate super chat received? I did. I think I read that. Last Theos, I'll double check, says, did mate guarding fail with Muhammad, who married an 11-year-old? Um, I don't know what that's supposed to prove. Like, again, child marriage, minor marriage is something that we're going to debate on this channel very soon. And it's something that, again, has been practiced uh, throughout history. Um, in every uh, pre-modern society, basically every advanced civilization, Roman civilization, Greek civilization, um, even extending into Asia, Chinese civilization, Japanese, it's just it's so ubiquitous. So we have to get into the details of that. That's not what this debate was about. But I have to answer this question every single debate. Why? Because these NPCs can't think of like one or two objections against Islam. And they just spam it over and over and over again. You got it. This one coming in from Lathios. And I do want to say, folks, I gave that question to Daniel, like I said, because uh, I also gave a very offensive question to Nuria. But we do want to redirect it so that the questions are on topic. Lathios says, did mate guarding... We got that. Abdul, thank you very much for your question. Got that one. That was one we read to Nuria earlier. This one says, thank you. <clears throat> okay, that's not quite the type we're looking for. Hira says, if the hijab becomes a target for assaults on Muslim women, should Muslim women be given the choice to abandon it, Daniel, in order to maintain their safety? If, if what happens? If, hijab, if the hijab becomes a target... Or in other words, people are using it as a target for assaulting people. Oh, okay. Then should women have the option to re remove their uh, remove the hijab for their own safety? There have been scholars who have said this, and I think it's valid. If there is an imminent danger that a Muslim woman is going to get assaulted uh, if she wears the head veil uh, or the hijab, then there is a dispensation. She can avoid wearing it um, if she has to, like she has no choice because the priority is to preserve your life and to preserve your physical well-being. Um, that takes priority over the hijab um, in Islam. So scholars have uh, given that fatwa or that ruling that, yes, if that's the if that's the situation, and that's like a conditional. You have to see if that's the conditional, that that's the case. If I'm going to wear hijab, I will be attacked. There is a high chance of death, um, which in some, certain countries, like in Central Asia, when you had communism and these communist regimes, yeah, you literally would be killed if you wore hijab. Um, so in that kind of situation, it becomes permissible to not wear it. You got it. This one from Daniel Alvarez says, when Harvard... <clears throat> 
Okay, it's more of an attack. This one says, be happy. Okay, that's another attack. Apostate prophet says, Daniel, numerous. We got that one. Hello, hello. It says, apostate prophet, nobody asks. All right, this one from Yaha Osman. Wait, says, speaking about apostate prophet, like I did bring up some more studies on this. So um, unmarried men engage in more crime. So the biggest uh, predictor of happiness and avoiding crime is actually being married. When men get married and they have children, they don't engage in crime. So societies that encourage marriage and facilitate early marriage uh, result in less crime in society. So this has been cited in, in numerous articles like, is marriage the key to long-term happiness? Um, this is an article you can Google is published on medical news. Um, and then fatherless single mother home statistics also show the same kind of thing. Children growing up in single parent family households, like all of these uh, statistics show that when you have single men who are not attached to a family in one household, they're more likely to engage in crime and create all kinds of violence in society. That's why we see crime rates going up in many places in the Western world. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question. Yeah, yeah. Osman says, isn't there a superior power dynamic for women in terms of sexuality, just like for men in terms of violence? And shouldn't there be restrictions? Yeah, absolutely. There should definitely be restrictions. And that's why I was trying to argue in this debate, like marriage, for example, or any kind of relationship requires give and take. Both sides have to have certain obligations, uh, certain duties, and they also are able to receive certain benefits. That's what a reciprocal exchange is. And that's what all relationships are based on. So when we talk about marriage, uh, Islam has a very clear uh differentiation between the husband and the wife. The husband is obligated to provide for his wife, whether he wants to or not. Like if he fails to provide for his wife, there will be Islamic legal consequences and the judge can actually rule against him if he fails to provide for his wife and kids. That's an, an obligation. That is, he's being forced to do that. So are there any uh, what about his wife? Does she have any obligations? Yes, she has an obligation to be a loving wife, to uh, give him sexual access when he wants it. That doesn't mean that this is marital rape, as you know, right-wing uh, trolls will say. That just means that she has an obligation. If she fails to meet that obligation for no good reason, just out of spite, she doesn't want to give her husband access uh, to sex, then she becomes legally liable. Uh, that doesn't mean he can go and beat her black and blue and cause her physical harm. You know, and, and Islam is very clear on the kinds of steps that he can take to pressure her. Like, OK, fine, you're not going to give me sexual access that I'm not going to talk to you or I'm not going to sleep in the same bed like you're causing this kind of rift in the relationship because you're not meeting your end of the bargain. In the same way that if a man was in a marriage, he commits to a wife and to protect her and her children and provide for them. He just decides to unilaterally, oh, I'm not going to pay for anything. I'm not going to pay for rent this month. I'm not going to buy food for this month. That causes serious harm to the relationship, and there needs to be consequences for that. Every legal system creates those kinds of consequences. Um, unfortunately, in the modern Western liberal system, all the consequences are on men. All the consequences and obligations are on men, whereas women have this kind of accountability-free, no-fault divorce. They can just deny a husband, like, 
yeah, no, you're not going to get any sex. No, I'm not going to do anything around the house. I'm not going to contribute to anything in this marriage. And guess what? I'm going to divorce you and I'm going to take half your property. I'm going to take half of your possessions and I'm going to get custody of your children. So this is a very unjust, immoral system. It's causing all kinds of uh, disasters for society. Islam has a more balanced system, a, a better, a superior system where each side has obligations. There are consequences. There are accountability if you don't meet your obligations. When you make a commitment for marriage, that has to mean something, just like any other contract. No-fault divorce that we find in the feminist West is a destruction of that very basic justice uh, that, you know, keeps society together. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Harris Sultan said, a study published in the Journal of Social Science and Medicine in 2016 found that women in the United States reported higher levels of subjective well-being, e.g. happiness, than women did in the 1970s. Yeah, again, like there are so many studies that are showing this epidemic of depression, epidemic of suicide epidemic of all kinds of negative subjectivity that people feel like go to jonathan heights article that i just cited in the debate it was published two or three days ago and it shows the the shocking levels of depression and suicide that is affecting women um so one study that i haven't looked at is not going to contradict contradict all of that other data you got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question as well. Sammy Veda says, suicidality does not mean oppression. Men and women both have increases in depression. That's not oppression. Yeah, it is oppression. When, when people are committing suicide, why? Why are they suffering from such debilitating mental health crises that they want to kill themselves? When you see a society of people that at a high rate are trying to kill themselves, like if you see 50% of people are killing themselves, normal person will think, well, there's something wrong in that society. Something has been affecting these people to drive them to such an extreme consequence. And it's most likely someone is pulling the string, someone has introduced something to society that is oppressive. Oppression just means that you are preventing people from uh, pursuing what they naturally need. People need loving relationships. People need loving, committed, long-term relationships. People need family. People need, women often have this desire to reproduce. They want children. These are all biological needs that people have. When you strip that away because of all kinds of social policies, because of all kinds of ideologies like feminism and liberalism and so forth, uh, atheism, then they, people are going to be more and more depressed. This is the paradox. They have more freedom. They have more choice, but they're suffering from all kinds of mental health problems. And that's because people need more than just choice. Yeah, choice is good. It's good for people to have free choice, but that's not the end all be all of life. Sometimes you need a family. Sometimes you need marriage, but that requires a restriction of free choice. And that's what Islam offers. But people want to criticize, oh, Islam doesn't allow 100% free choice, 100% un unlimited kindness to women, et cetera, et cetera. So this, uh, these are criticisms against Islam when this is exactly the solution to the kinds of depression and suicidality and problems that we find in these Western societies. This one coming in from Harris Sultan says, we got that one. This one from, oh, Samir Farsane. Sorry that I missed your question for Nuria before she left. So I'm sorry about that, brother. I meant to catch all the questions for Nuria, but I did miss yours, sorry. Jared Ball says, how would depression among Muslim women be measured at any given point in history or today? I think we're it would just, be, go ahead. We're just looking at 
the statistics from today. Um, that's, you know, that's the basis of the stats that I'm citing, because obviously the metrics are not going to be the same if you look at historical societies. So I'm, you know, that's an unknown. Um, my guess is that the rate of depression is going to be less. Why? Because when we look at the limited amount of data that we have from the past 80 years or 70 years, or maybe even far back in 100 years in the West, as society becomes less traditional, as family ties break down, as marriage uh, becomes less and less common, more and more people are not able to find committed relationships, um, then that that is correlated, that is directly correlated with um, depression. And when it comes to social media, that's not even a correlation, that's causation. And causation has been proved that social media usage creates depression. So if we just extrapolate based on those trends, then we can say that other societies were not committing you know, this level of suicide, weren't committing this kind of drug abuse. Drugs have existed in human society for a long time, but we see all of these metrics going up astronomically and atheists just want to put their heads in the sand and they want to ignore the problem and keep repeating the same cliched talking points about oh freedom is so wonderful it's the answer to everything you got it this one coming in from do appreciate your question chango says is it possible that muslim men are just bad at meeting women are the veils compensating for something uh looking uh thank you for that question muslims are marrying much more than non-muslims Muslims and Muslim societies have far higher rates of marriage than than current liberal societies. And it's not just, you know, in Muslim societies, it's quite high rate of marriage. Uh, The vast majority of women are married by the time they reach 30, 35. Uh, And men also, it's a very high rate of marriage. So this is not like some kind of point against Islam. It's a point in favor of Islam that we can actually get married uh, in a much Uh, simpler and easier way, whether it's through arranged marriage or family network type of marriages. And Muslims have experience with this. Unfortunately, what's happening is that Muslims are adopting feminism, they're adopting liberalism, and they're westernizing. And now we see marriage rates in the Muslim world are dropping. And this is a big problem uh, that needs to be addressed, actually. But the problem is with feminism, with liberalism, if we continue to be traditional religious societies, including the West, if the West returned to a kind of Christian uh, traditionalism or maybe even became a Muslim society, marriage rates would go up because Islam and and these religious traditions protect that institution of marriage. You got it. This one coming in from Harris Sultan again says, rape happens in nature as well. The whole point of creating society is the betterment of humans, not to have, quote unquote, survival of the fittest. Yeah, so you, I mean, this is funny for an atheist to say, like, we don't want survival of the fittest. Like, what other morality do you have? Like, what other moral system are you appealing to? Um, that is that is the atheistic metric, is survival of the fittest. Um, but that being said, you find all kinds of practices in nature that doesn't mean that they're most fit. Like, so, yeah, you do find organisms that will, ne- will eat their own offspring, but it's not something that is uh, proliferating through uh, through reproduction. It's not an adapt, a, an adaptive 
trait because you can have dysfunctional behavior in nature, you can have anomalies in nature. But when it comes to these kinds of practices that are so common, they're not anomalous. It's not just a one-off. It's something that you see in every single species or the majority of species. Then you have to explain that and explain why that is evolutionarily adaptive. You got it. Thank you very much for this question coming in from Samir Farsane says we got that one. Samar, Samar Rao says, Daniel argues for pair bonding in humans, but defends men having multiple wives. How do you square that circle, Daniel? Yeah, so just because a society is polygamous, which, by the way, 93% of humans, uh, human societies have been polygamous, according to the ethnographic atlas, um, that doesn't mean that every man in society has multiple wives. The actual rate of polygyny in any given polygynous society is anywhere from 2 to 5%. So the vast majority of men are in a, in a kind of pair bond. But when you have a polygynous, polygynous society, there is leeway for the men who are high status to have up to four wives. And that is a, a very important feature of Islamic societies and these other traditional polygynous societies that is lacking in the liberal West. Instead, men who are high status in the liberal Western society cheat on their wives. They have they're not they are polygynous, but outside of marriage. So you have all of these baby mamas, all of these groupies, all of these women who are sleeping with the high powered politicians and the actors and the, um, you know, sports athletes, uh, professional athletes. And uh, this is a stain on society. If you had marriage or multiple marriage polygyny, then those high status men could have multiple women. And that gives that gives a lot of benefit to society overall. You got it. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Jared Ball says, Daniel, if you don't support evolution, why is your comparison for quote unquote mate guarding based on primate behavior? So it's not just based on primate behavior. It's also based on a wealth of historical data. Um, so I don't need to rehash all of that. But the problem, why I bring in evolutionary argument is that when you engage in a debate, you have to um, argue on the basis of common ground. So when I debate these atheists and these liberals and these feminists, they all agree with evolution. So, okay, let's take an evolutionary argument that you agree with and uh, see where the logic leads, see where the conclusion leads. And this, this is where, you know, the certain atheists have trouble uh, reconciling the empirical facts and the scientific facts of, you know, supposed evolution with their liberal morality, with their, their liberal worldview. Because the, the natural world is very illiberal. The natural world is extremely illiberal. It's anti-liberal. It's anti-feminist. And so this is a huge contradiction and clash in the worldview of atheists. And they never want to confront that and honestly engage with that. And they just engage in hand-waving tactics. And no matter what you try to tell them to explain that, look, you're being inconsistent, they don't want to acknowledge it. So that's why I bring it up in all of these debates. Abdul Rahman says, the majority of scholars like Kurtubi, let me know if I'm saying it right, say marital rape is not allowed uh let's see okay that's actually coffee mom says daniel do you believe your worldview contributes to or alleviates the depression that women feel 
Of course it alleviates it. Of course it alleviates it because it provides what women want biologically. They want marriage. They want a long-term committed partner. They want, uh, they're hypergamous, so they want a man who has higher status, who has bigger muscles uh, than they do. Islam facilitates that. But the kind of uh, liberal West, Western model, the feminist model of just free sex promiscuity, this literally leads to the depression of women. I, I'm cited multiple studies about how women who uh, engage in casual, uncommitted sex experience that as trauma. They might not admit it. They might not admit, oh, I, I, feel, I feel empty inside. I feel devastated by what I've just done. But all of the empirical evidence shows that they do. They do feel very bad uh, and have all this kind of regret for that kind of sexual activity. So, of course, a religion that prevents that is going to be better for women, whether it be Islam, whether it be Judaism, whether it be Christianity. I agree. I, I think that if society was Christian, if um, I would much prefer that. And I think society would be much better. Women would be much, much better off if, you know, the West returned to a kind of traditional Christianity. Depression of women would go way down because women would get what they want, which is having these marriages, having children, uh, living very happy, fulfilled lives as wives, as traditional wives in those kinds of relationships. You got it. Thank you very much for your question. Coming in from Samuel Bass says, question for Daniel, the law for nudity is equal for both genders in the UK. Are you advocating for the burqa for men? Well, as, as I said, like men and women are different. Their attraction, uh, what they offer in a relationship is different. What men seek from women is different from what women seek from men. So these are very clear biological differences. To treat, for the law to treat men and women exactly the same, despite these kinds of major differences between the two sexes, would be injustice. It would be oppression. <laughs> you know, that's that's. That's uh, the definition of oppression because, again, you have these needs that people have based on gender differences, but the law, the liberal feminist law, is treating everyone exactly the same. Islamic law does not treat the genders the same. It treats them differently because it acknowledges the differences in biology, the differences in psychology, the, different, the cognitive differences between men and women, the bodily differences. So this is, you know, this is something that Islam acknowledges other traditional religions have historically acknowledged. But unfortunately, traditional religions have are suffering from amnesia and they're just liberalizing at a rate that's unfortunate. Islam is the holdout that is sticking to its traditions. And ultimately, like we can ask, will uh, women veiling make them more or less happy? And the thing is, we don't care only about what makes women happy. Like, let's imagine that veiling actually makes women uh, more depressed. Imagine. Uh, well, what does what effect does it have for the rest of society? What effect does it have on families? What effect does it have on children? What effect does it have on the elderly? What effect does it have on men? Like, does, does that not count as, as part of the equation? We have to have a holistic view, not this kind of gynocentric, women-centered view of, oh, what is going to make women happy at all times? I just believe that veiling does actually make women happier, but it also does much more uh, in improving society and benefiting society as well. We have to have that holistic picture as opposed to women-centric. We only care what makes women, what gives, what affords women the most amount of choice with the least amount of accountability. That's the kind of liberal feminist model that's destroying society. 
This one from Harris Sultan says, that's some Buddhist saying, not Buddha himself. Can't remember what. Is Harris Sultan ignorant about Buddhism? Because Buddha, the Buddha wasn't just one person. He had different manifestations according to Buddhist theology throughout history. So according to Buddhist theology, you can have multiple figures who are the Buddha, the manifestation of Buddha. At, or the avatar of Buddha at a particular time in history. So I don't think Harris Sultan knows anything about Buddhism. He he doesn't know anything about Islam. He just reads pamphlets about Islam uh, and then tries to have a whole career based on bashing Islam. He, he Maybe don't get into other religions because it seems you're deeply ignorant about them. This one coming in from Brian W. says, Daniel, the traditional Muslim dress for men and women had a practical purpose to protect from sand and dust. However, here in the States, it does not apply. So why wear it here as it just serves to set you apart from other people who are not Muslim? Again, it's a practice that has existed in many societies that didn't have sand. Uh, Muslim societies are not just societies in the desert. Uh, Muslims have been veiling uh, in Spain, in Andalus, in North Africa, in the in the tropical parts of uh, the subcontinent in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia. Um, like this is a really bigoted understanding of Islam only being limited to the desert. For hundreds of years, literally for hundreds of years, over a millennia, Muslims have lived in all kinds of tropical regions and, and non-arid desert regions throughout the world. The tundras of Central Asia, Muslims have, have lived there. In Anatolia, Muslims have lived and civilized and and thrived in all of these different parts of the globe and they've practiced hijab they've practiced veiling as you see muslims practicing it today and many non-muslims convert to islam and they take up veiling as well in in the united states this one from kenusapak says daniel isn't there a disagreement between muslims on what covering is required hijab versus niqab niqab's a whole other level of covering that includes hiding identity etc uh, I think there's more consensus or there like the majority opinions are do advocate for veiling the, the niqab uh, more than just covering the hair. Um, definitely within Muslim societies, it's expected that if you're in a Muslim society, you're going to don the full face veil. And this is what Muslims practice. But again, like there's a lot of liberalizing pressure for Muslim women to start exposing more and more and more of themselves. But if you went, you know, 100 years ago and throughout the Muslim world, whether you went to Egypt or Turkey or Malaysia, uh, women in public were, uh, when they were in public, were fully veiled with the niqab. It's only in our current times that, that this is, even in certain Muslim countries, this has been associated with like extremism and terrorism. And this is part of the whole global war on terror CVE policy, uh, countering violent extremism policy where if you're a man who you know looks like me and has like a long beard or you're a woman who covers your face that means you're a potential terrorist and uh, there's all kinds of negative consequences uh, from that kind of islamophobic policy that's been imposed by the west by the us and eu against the muslim world to stigmatize basic islamic practices that were very common in our history like full face veiling you got it this one coming in from do appreciate it excuse me but says Single wealthy women are the happiest, Daniel. <laughs> okay, we're, let me see the stats. I mean, the, what I hear about are these old women who are single, who are overdosing on antidepressants, painkillers, drinking wine. Like, this is the common 
uh, reality of being an elderly single woman. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, because women don't derive status, uh, don't derive happiness from status uh, in the same way that men do. Women aren't at competitive in the same way that men are. So if you are, you know, this elderly woman in your 50s and you don't have any children, you don't have any family around you. This is why that demographic is the highest in its usage of antidepressants. You know, this this is the this is the reality that I don't see any of these atheists or feminists engage with, but it's to their own detriment because that's your future. That's the future of your yourself or your or your daughters. I don't want that uh, for Muslims or non-Muslims. So I don't I don't understand what do you have to gain by portraying uh, the reality in this false way that, oh, no, single women in their 50s are the happiest that they, they've ever been. OK, well, all the antidepressant statistics, uh, pharmaceutical statistics are contrary to that. This one coming Explain in. It. Samuel Bass says, question to Daniel, why are you referring to biology to sustain your argument when Islam doesn't acknowledge evolution? I think it's basically the same question as a previous no, one. Islam does acknowledge biology. Islam does acknowledge biology. Uh, in the same way that every religion acknowledges biology in some way, because we're human beings that have been created uh, by God. What I meant uh, to say is, uh, they say when Islam doesn't acknowledge evolution, quote unquote. Yeah, so I'm just trying to distinguish okay. that you can, we can acknowledge biology as Muslims. We can acknowledge biology. We can acknowledge the animal kingdom. We can acknowledge all of these natural facts about the world. We can acknowledge history, like because this is the way that God has created the world. Um, so we we can understand the wisdom of veiling when we see how it's practiced throughout the animal kingdom or through history. We can better appreciate the value of Islamic guidance. Um, so there's no conflict there between that kind of understanding of veiling or any or mate guarding in any practice. And Islam and, and a rejection of evolution. Deborah Gray says, "Veils don't cure depression. Oppression is never. They don't cure depression. And then said, oppression is never a betterment for any society." Um, well, yeah, it depends on how you define oppression. You seem to liberals define oppression as if I don't get to do exactly what I want when I want it, then I'm being oppressed. Like that's that's the kind of cartoon understanding of oppression that they they trot out in these kinds of debates with Muslims or with Christians. But in reality, the law, liberal legal systems restrict people from different choices that they can make. So is that oppression? The fact that the law is, for example, telling you that, um, yeah, you can't go and start dealing hard drugs, for example, or you can't, you know. Um, you know, engage in certain kinds of like you can't drive 100 miles per hour on the highway. You can't, you know, uh, transform your house into a theme park right into the in the middle of the neighborhood, like all of these restrictions or in the workplace, all of these kinds of restrictions or in school, all of these restrictions that limit your free choice, what you can do as an employee, as a student, as a citizen. Liberals don't experience all of that, those regulations as oppression. Uh, so that's a major inconsistency. We have to look at what is human nature. If someone is restricting you from your nature and what you desire, uh, that is actually beneficial for you as a human being. Okay, then I'll grant that that's oppression. But it's the liberal system that is preventing people from achieving the things that they need, like loving, 
committed relationships, long-term relationships, having a family, having a loving uh, uh, family with children, growing old and, and having the expectation that your children are going to take care of you and not just ship you off. Like these are the kinds of things that human beings need. So we can objectively ask which system is going to provide or increase the chances of providing for those needs. And I, in all these debates, I make the case that Islam is the one that's meeting these basic human needs and liberalism is what is destroying and counteracting all of these needs that human beings actually have. This should be a wake-up call for liberals that your system that you're advocating is a cancer. You have to get rid of this and look elsewhere. Hopefully you'll look to Islam, but even if you don't look to Islam, you look at Christianity, you look at traditional Buddhism, that is better than this cancer that is destroying the entire world, destroying every culture and, and country in the world. This one from Harris Sultan says, Thank you, Daniel, for existing. You destroy Islam more effectively than us. Well, according to the people who watched our debate, Harris, uh, they don't have that opinion. So, This one from Brian W. says, Daniel, you are saying that women should veil to keep men who cannot control themselves from abusing them. Why? Can you, can you repeat that? I didn't catch yep. the first part. He right. said, Daniel, you are saying that women should veil to keep men who cannot control themselves from abusing the women. Why should women do this? No, I didn't say abusing women. Like if a woman is not veiled and a man comes and assaults her or kills her, then uh, that is a violation. That's a crime that he's committed. Um, that's not what veiling is about like veiling is supposed to decrease the promiscuity decrease the rate of um inappropriate gender interaction uh, in society and that's it's not about what men can do to control themselves um uh, versus not like in the same way that women uh as mate guarding strategies as i explained in the opening they have they require like a dowry for example in marriage or women expect that a man is going to provide uh, to the to the relationship and provide child support and provide protection, like all of that kind of resource investment that the husband or the or the man in the relationship has to provide, that decreases the amount of money that he has to spend on other potential women. So his attraction, that man's attraction, uh, his attractiveness is decreased because of these requirements and obligations that are put on him within the marriage. Um, and if you want to say that, okay, women, men shouldn't just control themselves, well, women should just control themselves and, and not require, you know, men to have money or status or looks or all of these kinds of features that women are looking for in a partner. They should give all of that up. They should give up mate guarding. They should give up any expectation of child support. They should give uh, give up any expectation of uh, maintenance throughout throughout a relationship. But they're not willing to do that. And that's what came out in this debate: is do women have any obligations? Do women have any kind of um, accountability in a marriage? And we didn't see any, a response to that. Instead, we said, "Oh yeah, I, I want." a man who is bigger than me and has more muscles than me. Okay, well, that, then that comes with certain kinds of costs and accountability, but you're not willing to pay it. You got it. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from, excuse me, but says, women, life, and freedom down with patriarchy. This one from Apostate Prophet says, the 
parentheses, or I should say in quotes, paradox of d the decline of female happiness, of, this is a famous paper from, I think if I remember right, it's like 2007, says, is a study which says that developments over the decades have not made women happier, and by developments he means, I think, feminist-aligned developments or changes. He says, shows that despite these feminist developments over the decades and women's simultaneous declines in happiness he says that the reason is that these feminist developments have not made women happier due to persisting imbalances in other words like societal imbalances like prejudice toward women or systematic things that prevent women from getting ahead he says this is a study for equality daniel doesn't read his own references no but title of the paper is paradox because the explanation or, or the question is, we should at least see a trend line, right? If women are, no one disagrees that women are more empowered than ever. Women have more resources than ever. They are in higher positions of authority. There are more female CEOs now than ever. So yeah, we're not going to get a perfect, like this is from the feminist perspective, we're not going to get a, a perfect egalitarian society but at least things should be getting better depression should be getting less we should see a movement in all of these lines instead we see the opposite we see things are trending up that's what the paradox is and that's what uh you know none of these guys can explain is why even even these researchers can't explain it because it, again it goes against of course the people who are writing that paper B betsy stevenson and these researchers of course they're feminists of course they're liberals like, that's why they're calling it a paradox. It's not a paradox if you just understand human nature and you understand that, look, the liberal system that is proliferating is actually contrary to human interests. It's actually contrary to what is going to bring everyone in society better outcomes. Uh, that, so it's no surprise that you're seeing the increase in depression, increase in crime, increase in STDs, increase in all of these sociological and personal psychological problems. It's no surprise, obviously, but it's a paradox for the liberal. It's a paradox for these researchers that despite themselves, they don't want to admit that, oh, we're we're getting more and more of what we want through all kinds of social policy, but actually people are getting worse off psychologically in terms of other um, sociological markers. That's what you have to explain. You got it. This one coming in from Saheed Lipham, Lipham says, they said, I said it before, I'll say it again. No one can beat our beloved Daniel. This one from XK says, let's see, this is more of a super chat directed at your critics, namely Apostate Prophet and Harris. So we'll save that for another time. This one from, we do well, want to. You should read that. I, as they, much they're as getting, I. How many questions are these guys getting? There's, it was more that they, it was just kind of a an insult but basically i which i do want to encourage you folks to let's stick to the topic this one coming from speaking of damaging children let's see uh oh that that's actually for naria i don't want to they say harris sultan says sahid well okay since he's addressing him I'll, i guess i'll read the original one from sahid says <clears throat> yeah this is the one that was basically saying you know Daniel won and Naria lost. And Harris Sultan addresses them in a super chat saying, uh, Saheed Lifham is simply his, is simping his co-wife beater hard. Both are going red. Just take the L. Yeah, I mean, this is all that these guys have is name calling. Like they can just, 
make these libelous accusations against me um, by accusing me of all kinds of criminal behavior. Like this is how small minded and ignorant they are. Um, they can't engage in the arguments. They just have to throw out these labels and accusations. This one from Nameless. Uh, they, we got that one, actually. This one from Aziz says, Everyone watch, quote, Fareed responds on YouTube debunking the apostate prophet. <laughs> so we got wars in the, the comments. This one from <clears throat> Ahmed bin Muhammad says, I uh, got that. That one is for Nuria. Mike Tyson says, James Daniel is speaking over Nuria too much. I I tried to keep a rough uh, track in my mind. It seemed like it was fairly equal, although I would admit Daniel tends to take as much time as he can. But that's I frankly would do the same thing. But still, Ham well, like the thing. Just to say something to that, uh, I, I don't try to talk over people or I don't try to interrupt. But like you have to acknowledge that I have a major disadvantage in all of these debates because I'm debating positions that, you know, I, I don't have home court advantage, basically. My opponents have home court advantage because they're appealing to the status quo and the sensibilities of a, of a liberal audience. And even Muslims are affected by liberalism and are sometimes are understanding of what is right and wrong is heavily influenced by liberalism. So I'm trying to you know, go against all of this inertia to try to bring another perspective uh, that that takes time and it takes a lot of framework that I have to lay and, and argue for. So I really want every single second that I can get in order to be able to make make it interesting. Otherwise, who wants to come to a debate where, oh, you know, veiling is is oppressing women. Don't you agree? Yep, we all, you know, see the opposition can't really make a good uh, argument for it. So, yeah, Islam is just as barbaric as we always thought. Like, that's boring and it's stupid and it's a waste of everyone's time. Don't you want like a different perspective? Like if you are a liberal audience member, don't you want to see what other possibilities there are? When I watch a debate, I get excited and that's why I pre appreciate modern day debates. And I appreciate James's moderating. You bring these very controversial topics and... I want to what I enjoy in a debate is to see like the controversial position bring something that I haven't thought of myself because I'll say, oh, yeah, of course, you know, this is wrong. But then I, my expectations get undermined or they get subverted by a great argument. That's what I enjoy in, in a debate, not to just have my own biases reconfirmed to me like I don't benefit. I don't get any value out of that. You got it. This one coming in from do appreciate it. Siham Kadur says, Naria will go. OK, that's. This one from XK says, great job, Brother Daniel. And Laith, I think we did I do this one, says hijab does work. Look up the video, quote, walking in hijab for four hours, unquote, on YouTube. When not wearing it, she got catcalled 200 times. When wearing it, uh, well, actually, technically, I don't want to read that because uh, technically that would be directed at Naria. This one from Harris Sultan says, women or human sacrifices were also practiced in ancient cultures would you defend those too daniel 
Yeah, there's plenty of practices in many cultures that are wrong. That's why I refer everything to Islamic standards to see what is right and wrong. Just like you refer everything to your broken, incoherent, illogical, liberal standards. And I judge them according to an Islamic standard to determine if they're right and wrong. It just happens to be the case that so many of the things that Islam considers right match up with human nature and also match up with the practice of so many different civilizations throughout history. In the past, when Muslims and Christians would debate or Muslims and Jews would debate, you know what they would debate? They would debate the actual theological meat of the different religions and try to make uh, philosophical or logical arguments to prove that one theology is correct and the other theology is wrong. They weren't debating something like, quote unquote, child marriage. They weren't debating something like veiling. They weren't debating something like uh, patriarchy and differences in gender roles. You know why they weren't debating those things? Because that was the status quo that every society had been practicing for literally millennia. It's only become a topic of debate now because uh, Islam refuses to go with the liberal status quo. Islam refuses to reform itself to match up with this liberal hegemony that is imposing itself on the entire world and destroying the entire world. Islam refuses to do that. So it becomes the object of critique in every place that liberalism conflicts with Islam. But the good news is that it's very easy to rebut this kind of argument from liberalism because it's so easy to show how liberalism actually uh, creates a worse society, creates a worse uh, set of outcomes for people and their families and their marriages and so forth. And many debates, including the debate that I had with Snailton, uh, prove that and shows that. You got it. This is coming in from. Do appreciate it. Harris Sultan says, no, I quoted a study that you ignored. Proof that Daniel ignores studies that go against his belief system. Yeah, I didn't ignore the study. I responded to it. This one from try, Aziz. Try doing that sometime. Aziz says, Sal- am I saying this right? Salam? Is it Salam? Salam. And greetings, guys and gals. I look so naive. Okay. You, they say YouTube search trigonometry sexual revolution. The interview, uh, we can't, let's see. I just don't want to do anything. I just have a few more minutes. You James. got it. We'll try to wrap this up as quick as possible. In fact, I think, folks, we've gotten past the point at which we told you that we could not take any more questions. So I, I think that I, I want to just go for that last few minutes and we'll let Daniel go. Madi, just to be sure, I, there are so many that came in so fast that I, just for good measure, I want to be sure that we actually got there. This is, uh, okay, that one was for Nuria. Nuria, Nuria. Uh, let's see. Harris Sultan says, Pikachu's favorite pastime is how to come up with new ways to destroy Islam. Okay. Yeah, look Look how I have to debate Nuria, I have to debate Apus, I have to debate Snailton, like I have to debate a team of ex-Muslims in every debate, uh, whereas they have to just come at me like this is the this is not only do I not have a home court advantage on, on the topic, I also have to go against an entire mob of people like this just shows you like what is really happening in these debates. This one coming up for a last one. We'll end it with one from your pal, uh, apostate prophet. He says, <laughs> he says, women are naturally equally, um, women are naturally equally or even more promiscuous, according to many studies. So, which I think you said that uh, earlier, Daniel. You, uh, yeah. And then he says, only historically less polygamous compared to men, uh, which I think that's also what you said. This is, I think this maybe came in right after you said that or close. He says, why does Daniel continue 
with this old myth. Uh, like I, I mean, said, promise, I, women have less promiscuity than men because it's associated with the hormone testosterone. Testosterone is what increases uh, promiscuity. So it's not exactly at the same levels. That doesn't mean that women aren't uh, promiscuous. Uh, they are, but women are also more selective biologically because they have to have just biologically, they have much more uh, resources that they have to put into pregnancy because you have to carry a baby for nine months. That's a huge toll on the body. So naturally females in every species, not just humans, are more selective with who they mate with. And that is a huge difference that leads to patriarchy. It actually leads to differences in gender roles. So they are less promiscuous and they're more selective. Uh, but feminism uh, subverts all of, of that. Why? Because um, we see actually testosterone rates in women increasingly increasing over the decades, um, which is causing women to be more promiscuous than they were in the past, and making women more competitive than they were in the past. Studies are also showing that the tone of voice of women is actually getting deeper. Women's voices are getting deeper because they have more testosterone now than they did two or three uh, decades ago. So this is um, these are the kinds of differences between the genders, but there's a kind of gender parity that's created because of uh, different things happening in, in the human population with hormone differences and testosterone. Um, but I mean, that I don't know what Apostate Prava was trying to prove, like with that kind of statistic. You got it. With that, we do want to say we sincerely appreciate our Yes, so we want to say, folks, thank you very much, and check out their links. Daniel and Nuria are both linked in the description box. That includes at the podcast. And, folks, if you didn't know, Modern Day Debate does have a podcast. Follow us. Check us out on your favorite podcast app, and you'll find Daniel and Nuria are linked there if you're listening to this debate via the podcast, as all of our debates end up on the podcast within 48 hours. Also, as I said, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, inspiring philosophy. I think the strongest debater on the Christian side today, and Daniel, who I think, frankly, I think, Daniel, you're, you're probably the strongest debater on the Muslim side from what I've seen. They will be debating at DebateCon 3.1. It is confirmed for Saturday, April 22nd. It's going to be in the Dallas area. We're still confirming the venue, but do mark it on your calendar. Go ahead and put it in your Google calendar. It will be Saturday, April 22nd, Lord willing. That's our plan. So we do want to remind you, it's going to be huge. You don't want to miss it. With that, I want to say one last thank you, Daniel. It's been a true pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot, James. Again, I apologize for the technical difficulties earlier and delaying the whole thing. But it was a spicy debate. No problem. It was spicy to, the, to say the least. <laughs> Hit that subscribe button, folks, for more spicy debates coming up. I'm going to go to the post credit scene in just a moment as I wish Daniel well. So stick around and I'll be back in about 60 seconds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.